It's time for Windows Weekly. Paul Therat is here. Well, actually, he's in Mexico. Richard Campbell's home in British Columbia. We are. We have lots to talk about. Loop has finally shipped. We'll talk about Microsoft Loop. Uh, Bill Gates says AI is the biggest technology transformation since the GUI. And finally, seconds come to your Windows clock. It's all coming up next on Windows Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Windows Weekly with Paul Therod and Richard Campbell, episode 821, recorded Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. Windows everywhere. This episode of Windows Weekly is brought to you by Miro. Miro is your team's visual platform to connect, collaborate, and create together. Tap into a way to map processes, systems, and plans with a whole team. Get your first three boards for free to start creating your best work yet at Miro.com slash podcast. And by Collide. Collide is a device trust solution that ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. It's zero trust for Okta. Visit collide.com slash WW and book a demo today. And by Cashfly. Cashfly is the only CDN built for throughput, delivering rich media content up to 10 times faster than traditional delivery methods and 30% faster than other major CDNs. Learn how you can get your first month free at cashfly.com. It's time for Windows Weekly, the show we cover the latest news from Microsoft, who is these days the leader in uh, technology. <laughs> the big. It's just like I'm going to do that the whole show I mean. all over again. That's so we were. I was telling Richard before the show. I'm sorry. We were walking down the street in Mexico, and this truck drives by, and the truck's like this big, and it's carrying this thing that's like the size of the Hindenburg. It's just trash. And I looked at my wife and I said. Only in Mexico. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and now I now I can't stop doing it. I'm so, you are home, aren't you, Richard? I'm Campbell? back home again. Yeah, back so in me, the let studio. Let me put you back in Coquitlam instead mm-hmm. of in Wales. Uh, you're, tra- right. you're, you're. Are you home for a while? Or um... yeah, long enough that I think we'll probably go up to the coast place. So then you'll, I'll be in Madeira Park, and you'll have views of the ocean mm-hmm. while we're talking. It's so funny. Everybody in Canada. Mm. Seems to have a lake house or a coast place. I, yeah, you know. it's uh, what's what are we doing wrong down here, Paul? Leo, well, yeah, we don't have enough time to discuss that topic, but I'll just throw out a couple of couple of loose ideas. Paul Therat is Therat dot com. He's in Mexico. What am I talking about? You have your Mexican place. There you go. Right. <sighs> so jealous. Well, I'm so selling jealous. my American place. If that helps, right. uh, it's gone or it's in escrow yet? Uh, or? Will be gone in about a week. Yeah. Great. Therot.com, T-H-U-R-R-O-T-T.com, LinePub.com for his books. Richard Campbell's at Run As Radio. They are your genial hosts for this episode of What's New in Chat GPT. I'm sorry, <laughs> Bing Chat. Excuse me. Around these play- parts, we call it Bing Chat, Bing bud, chat. buddy. Bing uh, Chat. M365 Copilot. That's right. <laughs> uh, actually, you actually, know... We, people were saying you should do an AI show. I think yeah. increasingly this is it. Yeah, right okay. here, kids. Well, yeah. Well, okay, but I, I assume on the Google show they're talking about this a lot. This will come up with Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it's going to be uh, AI is going to be big uh, in many different places. Yeah, it's a technology, right? It's going to be everywhere. It's odd to have Microsoft leading, though, I mean, I know. or at least yeah, it's unfamiliar. It's unfamiliar. Well, and Google, uh, you know, finally released their Bard in the finally, preview yeah. yesterday, and well, they call it Barf. Barf. Yeah, you know, it's fine. <laughs> Google it's fine. Barf. But really, there's Google actually something even more exciting in the news. Uh, I saw a little tease uh, last week mm-hmm. that something exciting was coming. And it's finally here. We've been talking about this for, it seems like, a year. Loop. You're in, it's been more than a year, Leo. Wow. It's, uh, it's been a Can long I time. Can I sign up today? So, yes. Uh, if you have a Microsoft account, you should be able to just get right in. Oh, yay. It's and a uh, still. it does look, I mean, I'm just looking at it. Looks yeah. a little bit like Notion. Uh-huh. So you appreciate my tweet of today, which says, Redmond, start your photocopiers. <laughs> because <laughs> this thing doesn't look a little like Notion. It's actually kind of disgusting how much it they, looks They like really that. made no attempt, in fact, to... Uh... No, no, it's, it's bald-faced. And, I, you know, I have to say, I have a little bit of a problem with that. And I don't just mean ethically, although absolutely ethically... And I'm curious, actually, Richard, what you think about this. It's not a theory, but a mm-hmm. an, this idea. You know, that Microsoft has uh, several decades of productivity apps and services experience. They have billions of people who use Microsoft Office, are familiar with Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and or Outlook, yeah. OneNote, whatever. And this is a new way of doing things. This is a new way of doing things just like uh, Teams is a new yep. way of doing things, you know. Uh, this new style of uh, chat-based uh, collaboration in that case and meet, you know, meetings and all that stuff. So rather than make this product something familiar to Microsoft people, they have made it not just familiar but identical to Notion. And I should say, because we we should mention, there are dozens and dozens of Notion ripoffs out in the world. Sure. City and you know, many others that look and work exactly like Notion as well. But this is Microsoft, Right. And so what do I mean by that? So one of, one of the odd things moving for me from, like, say, Word to Lu- uh, <laughs> Notion is I type. Wow. And I want to make They it. even duplicated the little box on the left that I know, you I click. Think I, th- what yeah, the I hell? Just, I, 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 that's, thank you. That's my point. I, we're going to get to that. So hold on one second. Okay, sorry. So one, oh one, one of the, no, no, that's, I know, that's what I mean. It's not, it's not a little bit like It's Notion. a direct it's copy. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a photocopy. Yeah. So when, when you're typing text in Word, and you say, well, I want this thing that I'm typing to be a heading. There's a, you know, there's a keyboard shortcut for that. Right. Or you can apply, you can use, mo- mo- most people probably use the the toolbar there or whatever, the ribbon. Um, I use keyboard shortcuts. What's the keyboard shortcut? Possible. Is it slash? No, it's control alt one for heading one, control alt two for heading two. Oh, okay. That's a little different. No, that doesn't, doesn't work in there. Don't, oh, <laughs> don't oh. do it there. That my, my point is it doesn't. So the way it works in Notion is you actually have to think ahead of time to do it. You can apply a style after the fact, it's difficult. You have to click that little box you were just talking about. But yeah. right. for the most part, what you want, like when I'm doing the notes, I keep saying like today, I can't stop this. When I'm doing the notes, I will think, okay, this is going to be heading, and I type slash H2. That's how you do it in Notion. You do it proactively. And then you type your heading, and you move on, and the next thing you type is text. It's fine. You can go back using that little box. It looks like a domino. And you click it, and you say it says turn into... And then you can, you, you know, so it's multiple headings. And there's no keyboard shortcut for this, right? Which is my problem. I'm a, I like to keep my hands on the keyboard. So when you move to Microsoft Loop now, there is no version of what I just said for Microsoft Word in Loop. The way you do it 
is the way you do it in Notion. And I mean exactly the same wow. way. You type a slash, you get a choice of headings and what other options. It, it's, it's a weird way to optimize a tool. I, I, maybe you know, Richard, when they made te- the original version of Teams, mm-hmm. was it literally designed so that if you were coming from Slack, it would be the quickest possible transition? I mean, it was, remember? it was pretty close. They had their, they had their own elements as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's, it's interesting that all of these things are just front ends to SharePoint. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So it's just another, view, another SharePoint view in a way. This is right? the, uh, the man behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> is still is, SharePoint. Is yeah. Still SharePoint. yeah. Which is, oh, you know, it's, listen, this is, this is the white whale of uh, Microsoft. You know, let's make a friendly front end to SharePoint that yeah. actually works for everybody. Yeah. They yeah. would really like that. And I mean, I don't know how much time they've actually spent copying Notion so much as they, this is a very common visual metaphor these days. Okay. Right. That set, they, these set of symbols are, are pretty standard and so forth. The, the, if the alt keys surprise me, the, you know, yeah. how close it is is remarkable. I, right. It's just a question of, you know, well, I mean, I, know, I think Notion is a great product. Is it that big know. that they even know its name? I know. <laughs> Well, I'm looking at this and I'm saying they know more than they its know, name. I they think know they, its yeah. name. Guaranteed. I think they know how it was designed, how yeah. it was written. Yeah. How, yeah. You, know, yeah. you know, the point being that Teams only came into being when Microsoft failed to buy Slack. Like they right. knew they needed a conversational engine. They mm-hmm. they needed that capability. And so they tried to buy it first. And right. when they weren't able to buy it, then they had to make it. Right. Yep. And the big success of Teams, by the way, is that they vastly exceeded the capabilities of Slack. And turned it into their most successful platform in forever. I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. I don't even. I'm not even sure what to point to, um, especially in the productivity space. Uh, you know, since the original bundling of products into something called Office, maybe it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, to try and displace Outlook as the sovereign app, like the sort of first place you go at the beginning yep. of your workday, not a trivial problem. Like no, that's a, that's and not a something that happens overnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is the. But this is this parallel is is perfect. Because when you look at Teams to Outlook and this notion that these things are going to coexist for a while, eventually the old people are going to die off, <laughs> you know, and Teams moves forward, right? Um, this is to, I would say, Office, the rest of Office, as Teams is to Outlook, right? It's this modern uh, content creation tool with real-time collaboration. Uh, and, you know, it's not, you know, we're not going to round robin Word docs through Outlook anymore. We're going right. to... We're going to do the stuff in here. And there's also that connection to the past. Sorry. Uh, the, you, you can also bring these components into other Microsoft's, sure. well, uh, Microsoft 365 apps. Let's say. This is the conversation I have with Stephen Rose on run as a year ago when, right. when they were first talking about Loop with this, let's go meet the workers where they are. Yes. And the, the scenario he painted was, I have a salesperson who's used to having a spreadsheet emailed to them each day with mm-hmm. the current product pricing and so forth. And now that spreadsheet is auto-populated from SharePoint data, so you don't have to re-email it to him. You can open it's the live. same one each time, it's and it's live. a live document. Right. It just immediately populates. Now, we could go look at that in SharePoint through or through Teams. Like There was lots of ways to look at that same set of data. But if, yeah. it, if it makes him happy that it's an a Excel spreadsheet sitting in, in Outlook, fine. We'll meet you where you are. This is also how, sorry, Leo, uh, how you kind of mix and match the old and the new. Mm-hmm. I, one of the disconnects with Teams and Outlook is that people who are stuck in their ways with Outlook are stuck in their ways with Outlook. But this is an interesting way to bridge the past and the, you know, the new, <laughs> right? 
um, that you can say, look, we, you're still going to use a Word doc, but now there's going to be a, a loop component in it. You know, that's always updated. They clearly took their own advice. This is the template gallery, Bad Idea Brainstorm. And uh, number one in the bad idea is create an app identical to competitors. Uh, we, we, we can learn from the competition's strength, oh my God. use their weaknesses, and build our own strategy. Oh. You, you so. picture a bunch of bros high-fiving themselves at their intelligence over that little bit of humor. <laughs> and <laughs> We did <yeah>. it. <laughs> are you going to the yacht afterwards? I mean, like, seriously, guys, what? It, it's sad. So how I, soon are we moving to this? As soon as possible, Leo. That's the thing. So we're the, losing. Now, we should so tell you're people. Ready, right you're now, ready to run some SharePoint in your life. Is right now we're saying, using uh, something tell you that what. looks similar, which is Notion, to, right. do the, uh, to do the show uh, rundown. And... There's really yeah. no reason we shouldn't use Loop for this, right? Right. Well, then there are good reasons to use Loop, right? So we're already paying for Microsoft 365, so we're going to have no limits on sharing and uh -huh. different yes. types of content. You have to pay for Notion to get um, some of those features. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, look, I'm, I am absolutely not against paying for tools that I use. I, I, please do not take it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm already paying for this big hairball called Microsoft 365 that offers a lot of value. This is going to be another big part of the value for me. You know, whereas... For me personally, Teams is not something I like or use on purpose or need, you know, it's something I have to use for work or whatever, but I don't like it. Um, this type of product is something I do use. I use it in my personal life. My wife and I uh, have Notion notebooks, whatever they're calling. I don't know what mm -hmm. they're called, but we have, we, we share things together this way as well. Uh, everything we're doing around our apartment here in Mexico, the, the home sale, um, is all through Notion. And, um, but we also pay for Microsoft 365. And this right. is, is kind of an unfettered Microsoft ecosystem, uh, centric version of Notion. So now I know, yeah, I mean, I tried to sign up for the iOS version and you have to have a business account, right. yeah. uh, Microsoft yeah. 365 and your administrator has to enable it. Right. So we that's should, not yeah, the let's, case let's on talk. the, that's not the case on the web. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So let's actually talk about that availability a little bit. So. That there are three versions of the app that are available today, uh, web and then the two mobile apps. The web version is open to everybody. So if you have a Microsoft account, you can get in. If you have a, what we'll call it's it's called a Microsoft Worker School account, a commercial account, your administrator has to go through some fairly complicated steps, by the way, uh, to allow that in the organization to some level, and then to allow certain people in, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, yeah, so uh, I believe I don't know on the Android side if that's the same. I haven't even tried it yet because I was looking at it the other day and I couldn't get into anything because it was too early. Um, but yeah, it's very complicated on the commercial side. Um, it's not, it's, there's going to be a Windows native app, which almost certainly like Teams will basically be a web app, right? Will be this app, but right. lo running locally. Um, so if you want to test this now, the easiest way is to, to use the web version. And the web yeah, version I wonder if it great. won't just be a part of Teams, right? That, oh, interesting. Right. Make it part of Teams. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're about to get a Teams 2.0. Like, by all indications, they're moving away from being an Electron app. Right. And uh, wouldn't be that much of a stretch to say, hey, we're the Loop stuff's here as well. Like, I That's really right. don't – my impression of Loop was never that it was an app at all, that it was just another interface over top of SharePoint that hooked so, into a bunch of different places. This is the interesting thing to me about Loop. Uh, you use this uh, – the example of Stephen Rose with the guy with the spreadsheet. And yeah. uh, I talked to Brad about this. He has the exact same need um, where you're, you're talking about loop in, in the context of components that will appear inside of other apps or inside teams or whatever it might be. Um, there are two types. I, so far, it seems like two, there are two things you could be excited about that or the thing I'm excited about, 
which is a notion that is in the Microsoft ecosystem. I'm, I'm actually in a weird place where I'm interested in this app. Um, one thing is I haven't tried this yet. It would be interesting to me if I could write in this thing, by which I mean write news articles or book chapters, right. whatever it is. The tri- I mean, I could. The, the trick is going to be the output. The trick is going to be getting the data out in perfectly formatted whatever. Yeah, which is not what this is built for, right? No, and that's the thing. So we'll see. Well, the real question here now is you say you look at Word, OneNote, and Loop and say, okay, how are these things different? Yeah, uh, it's not the first time in Microsoft's history there's been a lot of overlap. (laughs) I feel like uh, Loop is a unique kind of platform i mean it's not you wouldn't want to unlike word you wouldn't want to create a, a you know word documents well, in it novel or a short story i don't know i really? you know what i i guarantee i i really i i don't so one of uh, look I, we all have in my taskbar right now i have four chat apps right i have teams skype whatsapp and discord i also have by the way five writing apps actually technically six but i'm going to leave that last one for later you know, Word, uh, Typora, Markdown Pad, Notepad, and Notion. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, as a, from just a like a an efficiency standpoint, where I have to remember how to do things, you know, fewer things. It would be really neat if I could replace a few of those things, right? And put them all in one app, right? And is, well, is and apparently is the possible? one app is SharePoint. I mean, the only sin that OneNote <laughs> really had. I need you to stop saying that word because you really. Putting a bitter taste inside of this chocolate. You know? Jeff, Jeff Teeper standing right behind you, Paul, right yeah. now. No, it's but like, actually, you're... the beauty of this is you're using SharePoint without knowing it, isn't it? Exactly. That's the best way to use SharePoint. Yeah. Except, except for your poor IT guy. Although, admittedly, SharePoint Online is a lot less painful than yeah. an on-prem and, SharePoint. And isn't the IT guy well, happy if you're all using SharePoint backends? Isn't that good? <sighs> Is an IT guy ever all happy? No. Right. The, the upside to the SharePoint thing, if you're there, as opposed to OneNote. I mean, OneNote I can collaborate with, right? I can share a, a notebook with you. It's got limits. But the real right. problem is it's a file somewhere, typically on OneDrive. The, up, the, the reason to have SharePoint on the back end is that you already have the infrastructure for backup and for multiple access and for security privileges right. and right. for, uh, you know, rights around access to information, tagging, so forth. SharePoint already understands all of that. And Why the would way, they try and reduplicate all that in, in OneNote and other places when they get already in SharePoint? I think what you just described is the real reason this thing has taken so long to come to market mm-hmm. because the, the, the really... For all of the notion ripoffing occurring here, the real difference between these two products is everything you just said. Yeah. That this infrastructure exists. It already exists. It on, is mature. Yep. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yeah. This is where they really kind of the thing we see is the tiny front end part. Yeah. You know, the big part is the, you know, the all part those back end pieces. pieces. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I've felt like OneNote's been an orphan for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, they played with some different versions and so forth. But the biggest thing here was the isolated back end piece, that it was just a yeah. file somewhere on OneDrive, largely hidden from you. I think, and well, this is this happened to OneNote to some degree, because remember, in the beginning, the idea behind OneNote was, don't worry about it. There are no files. 
Yeah. There are always files. Like, there's always files. <laughs> there are, it's a lot. There are always files. Right. And, yeah. and the, but what was compelling, OneNote was the first tool that Microsoft made where it worked on your phone and it worked on your laptop and it worked yeah. on your tablet and it worked on your PC. I think it literally was the first one, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, way, you know, way back in those early days, we were collaborating over it where two of us would be in a meeting and we could each contribute to the same document. It's just that it never had, it, they never improved the back end. Like one note well, should and, have and snapped over top of shit. They made some really dramatic, uh, bad decisions uh, with one note that I think have haunted it for mm-hmm. a long, long time too. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it also was, it bought in heavily to the pen based tablet thing. Yes. And uh, which, you know, both guys who use it think it's great. You know, they really do. (laughs) They get together right here in St. Louis. (laughs) Back in, uh, I don't know, 2005 when Microsoft was really pushing the tablet, I uh, I was stuck on a flight with a sales guy who who folded it over, got his pen out, said, oh, this is so great. Watch this. I'm going to do a sales presentation. I can annotate it. You can see it. It's going to be amazing. That was the one guy, by the way. That was the guy. That was yeah, the you guy. found him. So everyone has, I assume, has read the Steve Jobs biography. It's one of the best sections of the book. The uh, the iPad and the iPhone exist solely because some guy from Microsoft ended up at Steve Jobs' birthday party when shut up about the tablet PC. <laughs> Steve you. Jobs went to work I'll on money and said, you. "Listen, we're going to kill this thing immediately. Do what you can." And yeah, that's why that's why that all stuff all happened. He couldn't stand it. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So yes. Anyway, I, I, what Richard said earlier at some point in the show, you meant you said. Something to the tune of we're going to meet people where they are, you know, basically. Yeah. And to me, this is, I, I don't believe that Satya Nadella is, you know, it's all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And I don't mean it like that. But if if his time at the top at Microsoft, I think, uh, has a theme, it is that. Meet people it's where big. they are. Yep. And, and, and he said it too. The, the idea that you're not going to try, try to make that old, incredibly productive salesperson who's done this thing for years and is going to keep doing his thing. You're not going to ask him to change that. He's going to keep doing the thing yeah. he's always done, but is going to be tied into the system is not going to be isolated. Right. So, no, it's, 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 it's perfect because it's not enough to make this thing over on the side. It's better in some way than this other thing. Right. It, they've done the integration bit where, yeah, if you're going to stick with whatever your old fashioned tools are great. Mm-hmm. When are you retiring by the way, Bob? Oh, sorry. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, will uh, the rest of the world can still move forward. And, yeah. uh, one, one day nobody will be using that spreadsheet. Yeah. But in the meantime, it actually yep. isn't it an work. impediment to everybody else. We should also point out by the way, that what we're describing, and this came up, I think when Mary Jo was around, you know, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. um, this notion, uh, this notion, <laughs> this notion of uh, Loop as being the modern 21st cloud-based, 21st century cloud-based version of Olay, right? That <laughs> of these like uh, compound documents, linking and had. embedding. Yeah, right. I mean, it's sort of the internet-based version of that, right? In many ways, right? and that is SharePoint as the document management tool. Right. Yeah. So the, the bottom line is that all of those different things that you might link and embed into other things right. all can live in this repository that has I, all the sophistication you need. There's no doubt that the Microsoft of the 1990s envisioned some Cairo based object oriented file system that would handle all the stuff you just described. I'm pretty sure and that's the road ahead. Right. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the book that, that Gates yeah. wrote. Right. Just actually being implemented in a, I hate to say it, like a pretty compelling way. Yeah. Like, yep. For better or worse, this is, I, I don't, it took a while. 
I don't see anything bad about it. It's easy to make fun of SharePoint, but SharePoint is very sticky. So easy. So right. easy. And and the online version of SharePoint, like as an IT person, is so much wildly better. I was like, in, um, the customizations our, have been tamed there. I was speaking in Harlem. Speaking of Harlem, we were talking about Harlem, Harlem, Harlem the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And I was ripping into SharePoint really bad, badly. And the guy leaned into me, the guy next to me, and he said, you know, I, I think there were actually a lot of people here who do SharePoint in the audience. And I said, <laughs> I said, how Sorry. many of you guys are actually in SharePoint? And it was like 90% of them yeah, were all using those, like, it at that ro- time. It was like a Rodney Dangerfield, like, you know. <laughs> so SharePoint, was, forgive me at my stupidity, SharePoint does have a user-facing interface. What does yeah. it look like? Yeah. Well, it's, it looks the, like, it's, well, it's it OneDrive, like really, for most people. Yeah. No, no, no it's, it's, like, it's OneDrive. They have a yeah. feed, you know. Okay. So it's, fi- it's a file... Storage system? No, it's more about sharing. I would think things, right? Mm. Documents, well, it file. It's file storage. It's permissions. Yeah. It's, it's the, you know, years Pro- ago. gathering stuff as projects. It's you know, so it's, it's a back end. Yeah. But you could, but there's a front end that you could use. Mm-hmm. But that would probably mostly be well for most people. Using the, the front, front end. end. Well, so the front end could be anything. So. A lot of people, if you're in an organization and you're working on a project with people, you might be using Word, Excel, PowerPoint, whatever. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the documents you're creating are stored in SharePoint. You don't really thinking about it that way, but you have yeah. a, they've set up a project with permissions and who's in there and who can do things. Um, if you go to the web version of SharePoint, there are social media feeds, uh, both directly in SharePoint and through Yammer. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I haven't looked at that in a million years, so that's probably. But, and now you're, you're speaking to the schism that was SharePoint. Like, right. is it a web portal? Or yeah. is it a document and project Actually, management tool? I, right? yeah, I didn't even mention that part of it. So it did also start as a, a sort of an advanced version of front page, mm-hmm. right? This yeah. way in an intranet to share information oh, wow. uh, with people in the company. Well, there were folks that made publicly facing SharePoint sites. Yes. I'm not saying it was a good idea, but they really <laughs> did do it. And if you have any problems with that, I recommend you contact Todd Clint. I'll give you his email address. Um <laughs> He's really into this stuff. Um, but when I, SharePoint moved to the cloud to become SharePoint Online, yeah, they left a lot of that behind. They cleaned right. things up. They got a, a lot of the customizations that had been made. You know, didn't move forward. They they went very much more JavaScript focused. Like mm-hmm. they got rid of a lot of the pain. People over customized SharePoint yeah, to the they, point where it was a trap. Now, there's always the old school people who, you know, when that was happening, wouldn't move to online yeah. because they relied on features that were only in on-prem. Yep. I think the feature features gap they kind of, built, right? Yeah. Like that was right. the thing. But, you know, so. that, that that day no, that day passed. And then uh, I, I think at some point they became functionally equivalent and they were able to move forward with a cleaner code yeah. base. You, you, can, you can create a solution. I mean, and you can go back through the Run-As catalog and you'll see all of these stories about what does it take to migrate to cloud and what's the right <laughs> yep. way to do that and leaving sure. that, some of that stuff behind and, sure. you know, getting 80, 90. I did a show once, I think it was Carol <laughs> Moon, who was moving Microsoft SharePoint yeah. sites into sure. the cloud, right? And talking about like 90% of the stuff just went. The 10 that didn't really wasn't going <laughs> to. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, no, I, SharePoint was a much um, harder transition than something like, say, Exchange, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which was pretty straightforward, I would imagine, for most people, yeah, compa- comparatively. Depending on how you used Exchange, there were folks who used Exchange as their file store, right? right. Like, they right. kept everything there. And, you know, that was a running gag about, you know, folks that had multi-gigabyte, multi, you know, nearly terabyte mailboxes because it was actually file storage for them. Well, based on Jet. 
Yeah. So I, <laughs> the, I, I, Leo asks kind of what this thing is. I, I think that, th- that what this thing is, the way it is the back end for so many front ends. So, what, it, you know, mm-hmm. again, working the way you want to work. If you're working in Word, you don't really think about what's, you don't really care where, you know, where things are, but you're, you know, you can get to them. Some people think in terms of file systems could use uh, one, literally OneDrive or go to SharePoint and have a OneDrive like experience where you go into folders and you can see, you know, locations and things. You can do that. Um, and I think that's that. Those abilities are what makes Loop make sense mm-hmm. as a front end because we really don't right now. We don't have any idea where this thing is stored or what it, no. you know. But it but doesn't. You're, you're addressing the core problem, which is that a, an employee makes a Word document. Yeah. Where do they put it? Right. Right. And how do you make sure other people can get to it? it and yeah. this is really was the original one of the key missions of SharePoint from the very beginning was that management piece of put these things in the place where other people can get them, know that exist, and so forth. I mean, it's the it's a credible problem. It's the, uh, the fact that we, we put about, all these front ends on it just increases the likelihood that yeah. you're going to find that darn document. Um, we mentioned uh, Outlook is kind of an old fashioned type tool and people are round robining on documents. You get so many different versions, Bob, mm-hmm. you know, Mary, everyone, uh, you know, edits a different version of it. And at some point you have to kind of figure out what, yeah. okay, what's the thing. I mean, there are ways to, Outlook to do that where it's a SharePoint based document and you're all yeah. actually editing the same document, right? So we're, we're moving forward, you know, yeah. uh, from a functionality and reliability kind of a standpoint. And, we, but, and you could set that up under the hood when you, once you got into share, when you got into exchange online, you'd literally, you could attach a document to, to a, uh, an email. It would right. recognize it as a SharePoint document and replace and it as a it, link. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So then we, so we'd like to circumvent that problem. The th- so, the, the, so why does this exist? Like, if we can do that with Word, like why or OneNote or whatever it might be, why does this exist? And the reason is, when Google came out with Google Docs and started adding real-time collaboration, th- it was the one thing that was really hard to do with traditional Microsoft Office apps at that time. And uh, Google Docs being new, they obviously lacked functionality. Those things weren't as powerful as the Microsoft tools, but they did have that one thing because yeah. they were they were new. And uh, Microsoft has added those capabilities to. Uh, classic office over the years. It's, you know, the reason we don't still use OneNote is because real-time collaboration never worked properly in OneNote. It's the reason we got off of it mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago, whenever that was a year ago. Um, and this is Microsoft's attempt to address that, you know, that in some, sometimes to do that modern thing, it, you can't just build on the old thing anymore. At some point we've reached the conclusion of what we can do on top of this other thing. Um, we want to start out with something that's clean and new and modern has those capabilities that we need today built right in from the beginning. And we talked about the, uh, the cross, uh, not cross platform, the ability to go back and forth between new and old, which is, I think what puts us over the top. Right. It's not just something new. A notion is something new, Yeah, but this is something new that integrates with something, something old, old that billions of people are using. You know, it occurs to me, we know loop has got it nailed because it's almost impossible to explain. <laughs> that is the measure. It's the perfect Microsoft product. Yes. It's a, it's not a floor wax. It's a floor <laughs> wax and a dessert top. It's, top, it's yes. a, yeah, it is. It's a platform, you know, and that's the thing. Because I, I want to use it like this app, mm-hmm. but a lot of organizations and people are going to use it like that platform right. where you're working with those components in other places. Teams, well, and this I is something that an IT person isn't going to dread because it doesn't add new stuff for me to back up okay. and new okay. accounts yeah. to create and new permissions to assign. Right. I mean, yes. Okay. All yes. of those things yes. are done. Yep. It's on the existing. Yep. Now, I have gone through the list of what it takes to activate it in M365, mm-hmm. and that sucks. Yeah, that, that but it's, dread. 
it sucks yeah. for a day. Right, right. Where a new platform sucks Listen, forever. Luke, it's like a root canal. <laughs> yes. you know, come on. You'll be happy when it's over. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I, I look forward to using this. I think it's going to be. Uh... Yeah. I just love that you're the, the SharePoint admin. That makes me really happy. Oh, no, no, no you're no, a SharePoint no, admin. No, no, you're no. a SharePoint admin. You don't want me to be the SharePoint admin. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, feel, no, I've I, used I, SharePoint, account, and I, but I just Microsoft don't. is the SharePoint. Yeah, that, that's the yeah. thing. And, oh, that's, that's good, the, actually. Yeah, if you're a person. I mean, for you know, uh, a consumer of Microsoft 365 right. account. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's exciting. We can all sign up and uh, start playing with it. All right, we'll guys, I'll um, catch you up with you guys next week. And um, <laughs> what oh, wait, do you, uh, what, uh, what's your time? For, I mean, invite me, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know well, how you I, would. Well, okay, I need to... So I'm trying, you know, flying tomorrow. I need to, what I need to do is get home, look at this thing, you know, figure that out. Yeah. So I, it may not be next week, but I, I, but I, what I will say is this year, probably first half of this year, we'll, we'll at least experiment with it right, right. first. And yeah. Make probably sure keep the old one and start the new of course. one at the same time. Make oh. sure, make sure it is what we think it is. Make sure it works the way we want it to yeah. work. Yeah. But will you migrate the old shows over? This, to? see, no. no. See, this is the, no. actually, well, here's, well, Richard raised this him. issue with me. Of course I did. Offline. Well, no, it's not just the shows. I, I Like I said earlier, I use Notion for lots of things. Mm-hmm. So we have active collaborative things that we're doing right now, like I said, around the house, the apartment here, whatever it is, other things going on in our lives. And uh, we can't, you know, I can't put that in a, it's probably going to work, honey. You know, yeah, <laughs> we got no, to make sure. So, so we'll get there. I mean, we'll there, see. There, um, for me, it's going to be, will this move me off of OneNote? Because I have ah. decades worth of stuff in OneNote. I do too. They should I, have a, I, uh, some sort of exploit, ex, 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 exploit, exploit, yes. export. Um, it's exploit. It's exploit. when you export an exploit. It's an exploit. Exploit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They should yeah. have some way to do that. I'm sure. Yes. Is OneNote also believe. on SharePoint? Yes. Okay. So this would be trivial. Yeah. It's not a hard computer science. No, I mean, problem. What, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm guessing that's not there today. Um, yeah. I think, like we said, I, I think the the reason for the delay is making sure it does integrate with all those backend systems correctly. That you, as an organization, create this thing. It does the permissions right. Um, you know, we've seen all kinds of examples of that going wrong. Uh, Chat GPT, GPT, GPT just this week had a little screw up where people were seeing other people's histories and yeah. their creations. And, you know, so you got to be careful with that stuff, um, especially in enterprises, right? This is commercial for Microsoft. Isn't just big business, right? It's governments, yeah, educational yeah. institutions. Yeah, yeah. You know, this thing has, to, it has to work. So yeah. uh, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. I did find the SharePoint migration tool for OneNote folders. In that much, it took him no time at all. 21,000 words of IT policy goodness. Ask ChatGPT <laughs> Chat to do it. Yes. I bet I could figure yes. that out. That's right. That's right. Uh, this is actually kind of a timely uh, sponsor for all this. Uh, our show today brought to you by Miro. Uh, and Miro, it's interesting, Miro is a whiteboard that can be anything you want it to be. And I have to say, if you're a team, if you're working on a product, I'm just logging into our Miro right now. If you are... Uh, if you are doing um, uh, anything from meetings to planning to projects, Miro is one online place that everybody on the team, no matter 
you know, uh, whether they're, um, uh, you know, in the office or at home or hybrid, can participate in, can work with. It's really incredible. A Kanban, a mind map, a retrospective, a flow chart. Actually, the best thing to do, because it's hard to describe, because it's so, so open to be anything you want. When you go to Miro.com uh, slash podcast, click the Miroverse button, because this is a collection of templates. I think it's the best way to do it, that Miro users have set up to give you an idea of what you can do with it. Here's somebody's resume. Yeah, you can share on Miro, share to everybody. Uh, I wouldn't want to do another Teams or Zoom or Meet meeting without Miro running, not only to capture the ideas, but they've got a timer. They've got icebreakers you could use to get started, brainstorming tools. It's pretty darn amazing. Miro, M-I-R-O. If you and your team are in the situation where you have multiple tools, you're going from tab to tab, you're losing ideas because every, every context switch, you know, your brain goes, whoop, <laughs> new page, and it's gone, right, into the ether. You need Miro. Miro is the collaborative visual whiteboard that brings all your great work together no matter where you are, whether you're working from home or in a hybrid workspace. Everything comes together in one place online. Miro's been around for some time. By the way, this is not, you're not putting your life savings into a beta program, time-tested, and it's, and of course, everybody who uses it is contributing to the overall number of features. It has integrations with every tool we you use. We, uh, we're integrating with Zapier so we can pull in content programmatically from other sources. It's an infinite collaborative whiteboard that gives teams a perpetual space where they can just, you know, drag and drop in insights videos, pictures, data, spreadsheets, whatever you want. Nothing is lost. Nothing is forgotten. It's all live. It covers pretty much an infinite number of use cases. This is why when I say it's a whiteboard, that's kind of, you know, that doesn't tell you. You, it, it, you can put live reactions there in your meeting. You can have polls, a timer, uh, express yourself in creative ways, bring the whole group together around an idea, wireframes or drawings. Uh, you could use a pen tool in Miro to draw right in Miro. You can; it's great for a mood board. I mean, there's nothing you can't do. Miro users report up to 80 hours per user per year saved by streamlining conversations, cutting down meetings, and and that doesn't even keep track of of all of the ideas that are saved that are never lost because it's there. It's all in one place. The whole history. Miro gives your team the chance to stay connected always to real-time information. It gives project managers and uh, and product leads a bird's-eye view of a whole project. You can zoom in and out, right, to ensure nothing slips through the cracks. I'll tell you what, this is the best way to do it. Go to Miro, M-I-R-O dot com slash podcast. Your first three boards are free. So you can really kind of try it and see. Start working better. Miro, M-I-R-O dot com slash podcast we're using it micah and i are going to are using it for uh, our show rundowns on uh, ask the tech guys because we want to put in video questions and emails and you know plan everything all out it's great for that it's free form too because micah and i are free spirits and we like the free form nature of it miro.com slash podcast i think you will be very interested hey why not three boards free 
Give it a try today. And don't forget, again, check out the Miroverse. That's the place to go to see what people are doing with Miro. Okay, what do we got here? What's next? Let me check. I don't know where to look now. Uh, Windows uh, 11. Oh, oh I've yeah, heard of I that. I moved it all the loop while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us all what is new in 11. Yeah. Anything? Yesterday, Microsoft released a new build of Windows 11 to the Insider Preview, release preview channel, right? So you know that now they have four channels, right? Canary, Dev, Beta, and Release Preview. Release Preview, I should probably just read the description, is where you can go to preview fixes and certain key features, plus get optional access to the next version of Windows before it's generally available to the world. Um, that description is kind of inaccurate now because Release Preview is not testing features that will appear in the next version of Windows. The next version of Windows is coming out in October-ish, right? 23H2. But they have these moment things that are happening in the interim. They're also just adding features, right? So um, these new features are probably going to appear in April or May or June, something like that. And they're not going to come as part of a thing that has a name. It's going to be a cumulative update of some kind. It's just a, a You don't thing. think they'll make another moment? I'm not saying they won't. I'm saying that these features aren't going to wait for that moment. Right. I, yeah. Because so it, 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 I mean, it gets I'm confusing. not opposed to this idea of you know, just trying stuff in the in the wild, too. Yep. As long as you signed up, like don't try it on folks who have no idea. Yeah. So let's talk about the uh, the gradient scale on that one. So mm -hmm. um, people are familiar of are familiar with rather that last November or December, depending on when you chose to accept the update, Microsoft released what we call the search pill. Right. They just it wasn't tested in the insider preview program at all. Just appeared one day. And if you rely on the search icon in this taskbar, you will know that it lost a feature. It has a regression. You can't mouse over it and get a jump list of all your previous searches like you could or, and still can with the search icon. So in late February and then in the second week of March, Microsoft released Moment 2, which has a new uh, search experience. You can choose between the icon, the pill, as we call it, the box, the search box. And um, we could argue that that's what maybe what they should have done from the beginning. But that at least they tested the Insider Preview program. Right. All right, so here's the second level of gradient. <laughs> so the second is what you're supposed to do if you're, you know, have any kind of knowledge of how these things work is push features through the insider program in turn. Start with Canary, go to dev, go to beta, then mm -hmm. go to release preview and then go to stable. Seems very but, logical. Thank you. <laughs> so this new release preview build has four new features in it that have never been tested elsewhere in the insider program. That's why I believe they're going to appear soon, right? They're in release preview. Um, they're not big features for the most part. One of them is something I would call a bug fix, right? <laughs> um, none of them are super, super important. So for example, no one ever does this, but if you open your start menu now and you click on your profile picture, you will see a list of options related to locking the computer, signing out, changing to another profile on the computer if you have more than one profile, and uh, accessing your account settings. Microsoft is going to use that as a space to advertise the fact that you can back up your special folders with OneDrive. Now they're going to start using it as a place for suggestions. So that's something they're testing. Hmm. Um, yeah, I know it's like a whatever. Um, there's going to be a, a new Bing chat button in the search box on the taskbar. Apparently that was something they forgot to add a notion to. So there's going to be we, another. we don't Bing. have enough Bing logos yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So they're at another one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you click on that, instead of just doing a normal search, it will open Microsoft Edge, regardless of your browser choice, and will bring you to the Bing chat experience. So you can right. enjoy that. The thing you can accidentally hover over on Edge yeah. with the big B and have it. Yes, right. Happen on every single browser window you currently have open. Windows 11 has a rich history of accidental UI. The widgets was like that. You know, Mm -hmm. you could mouse over it by mistake, and then all of a sudden this thing would pop up, and you're like, I didn't mean to do that. They finally fixed, fixed or you know, added the feature to get rid of mouse over. But um, the one that is a what I call a bug fix is if you do use the search box, and you have customized the Windows 11 color mode. There's a lot of weird language in here because Microsoft doesn't use the same language as the rest of the world when it comes to like dark and light mode and that kind of stuff. But you could have a dark Windows mode where the system is dark, but a light app mode so that the floating windows and the apps are light, right? right. If you do that today, apparently the search box is hard to see or hard to read, I guess. It's like they didn't test it or something. Um, so in the, whenever this thing hits stable, they fixed that. That will actually, the search box will now be a lighter color. It will make more sense for this combination of color modes, whatever that is. And then uh, there's something called Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, which is uh, only for work or school accounts. Yep. And if your organization is using one, apparently there are an incredibly long list of new features in that product. Um, I haven't looked at it for more than two seconds. I don't really care too much. But if you do sign in with that kind of account, you will see improvements or at least additions to Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. I think once again, it's like, why are we putting new security features depending on what account you have exactly? Uh, don't, please don't get me started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm already ranting enough to. Yeah. Um, yes, I, yeah, I, I got into an argument with a guy who was on the OneCare team for Microsoft back in the day where I made the, my original observation that Microsoft charging to fix problems that it creates in Windows doesn't seem ethical to me. Yeah, it's a bit um, of a slippery slope. Yeah, so they're doing that again in a way, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan. But anyway, so there's that. So that's, uh, you know, whatever. But uh, at least they're testing them, I guess. You know, um, I well, if they're, it, it does feel yeah. like they've been experimenting with how to test things, and the experiments <laughs> whether to test things. Yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to give them this little. I'm going to give them this out. I guess. Yeah. I will say. I mean, to the, be clear, everything gets tested. It's just a question of do you test on your customers. Which I don't think you should do unless you unless, unless you ask their permission first. Yep. So they are at least testing us. These are small features. If they're the type of thing they think they can ship quickly, is it better to put it through the release preview than it, you know, do nothing at all? Of course, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, is it enough? I don't know. It's better than nothing. So I, I at least they're doing it. The start button thing or the search button they did. Big problem with that, um, and they, it was buggy. Not just that it bad. messed up all your screenshots. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is a personal <laughs> element <laughs> to it for sure. Well, I think it's part of the reason you noticed right away was like, yeah, wait, yeah, this, it's like, come what, on, what? Yeah. Well, actually, so you weren't, you, know, you weren't on the show at the time. What I, what I noticed was that it, that button appeared on one computer. I said, well, that's right. interesting. So I went to a different computer and I installed updates and I looked for it. It didn't happen. I went to a different one. I installed updates. I compared the build numbers. They were the same. I'm like, this is very strange. And it was the inconsistency yeah. of its application that was another problem. Actually, I was going to call the Which they, that feels like a feature flag testing model, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, yep. maybe we'll turn it. We're going to turn this on for 10%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I didn't appreciate that. So that was one I, I decided for the book. I'm not changing any screenshots to address this. I right. I don't feel that this is the final UI, and I was lucky enough to be right on that. There is no final UI. There yeah. is the next UI. <laughs> I, this is um, 
I, I you know, I didn't intend for this show to be like this. Um, <laughs> Neither did I, I have for, another... for what it's worth. But, you know, those regrets are 20 years in the past now. <laughs> All right. Well, Leo, someday we'll be sitting on the porch reminiscing. I think that's what we're doing right now, isn't it? All we need is a pickle Um, barrel and a checkerboard, and we're set. While we're complaining about Windows 11, I just wanted wanted to remind everyone, in case you forgot about this little bit of terribleness, if you're in Windows 10 and you go into the apps interface and settings, there's this notion of default apps. It's kind of a neat thing. You can say, I want this app to be my default viewer for photos, right? right? I want this app to be my default for email. And you could customize it beyond that. You could go in and specify specific file types that it's going to open or um, protocols that it will handle, et cetera, et cetera. It's a nice interface. It's good. So flash forward to Windows 11. And one of the many uh, regressions in Windows 11 is that interface did not exist when it first shipped. Um, there is a default apps interface. It is hilarious. And what you have to go is, you, what you have to do is open uh, an app List all of, you can see all of the file types and protocols it can handle and one by one laboriously go through each one and say, I want this app to open it. Now, no one's going to do that. So what you really do is you just open something on your desktop or whatever, right click, open with, and then say, yeah, I want to do this all the time with this app. It's, it's, it's tedious. They've just made something that was, that worked really well difficult. Right. The one thing that's changed since the initial release was they did add a default, make this default for web browsers only. And off the top of my head, I want to say it changes HTTP, HTTPS, HTM, HTML, maybe one other thing. Um, it's kind of what people want. But of course, Microsoft, I'm sorry, Windows 11 also ignores your choice when it comes to opening things from uh, widgets, from search highlights, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, Taskbar-based search as well. So, okay. I challenge anyone in the room, anyone listening to this at home, go and find the original Microsoft blog post explaining how they now have a principled approach to app pinning and app defaults in Windows. I have read articles where people explain Microsoft is going to dramatically improve how default apps work in Windows going forward. I re- That is not true. <laughs> and that is not what this says. Uh, they are doing next to nothing. This is not going to fix the big problems with this stuff i.e. there is no default apps interface for anything but browsers and they ignore it anyway, right? Right. Um, and I'm just, I don't want to beat this one to death because the language is so obtuse. I, I, don't, I think most people who read this won't even understand what it means, for one thing. And uh, I, I, just, I just want to point it out. I almost don't want to spend time on this because it's ludicrous and we don't have it in the, well, actually we sort of do. So the next thing that's in this list is we got a... Dev channel build just today. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had the chance to test it. It just came out. But this is the first build to uh, implement the changes they're describing in that other blog post. The principled approach. The principle just for default apps, not for the app pinning thing. Mm-hmm. I guess the idea here is that if you install an app and it wants to pin itself to your taskbar start menu, it should have to ask you, right? Mm-hmm. It should just do it. And I, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's yeah. Um, so that's neat, but that's not here. Uh, this is the um, uh, the default app thing, and I don't know what that means. Uh, so we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see uh, what that looks like, or I'll have to wait and see because I don't I don't have access to a dev box here. So uh, that will happen. But here's the big thing that's in this build that I think will excite everybody. There's going to be an option in Windows 11. I don't even know how this wasn't the top story. That will put the seconds in the system clock. Wow. Done. 
Oh dun, my dun, God! Dun. <laughs> hold on, hold on, guys, hold on. Finally, two caveats. Oh. Two caveats. Yes. Two caveats. This existed in previous versions of Windows, so this is also a regression. But here's the best one: if you display the seconds in your system clock, yeah, you will use more power. Oh, how much more power, Paul? <laughs> a lot more power? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Can you measure that power? I don't know. That's bizarre. Know. Well, it just means the CPU is uh, has to wake up every sure. second. But I mean, so I'm calling for Microsoft to make a dedicated processor specifically designed to display the seconds <laughs> in the clock, Without. so that my GPU and CPU are not overwhelmed. There you go. The right? SPU. Maybe they're using the a SPU. GPU. Maybe yeah, seconds processing. Seconds processing. <laughs> Maybe they're using the GPU. Maybe there's a big graphic rendering. Sure. Uh, Penalty. That's it. Yeah, they have to redraw the whole the scalar screen. compute of seconds. <laughs> I'm going to guess. So I'll, I'll just look. I mean, I'm, I'm being critical this whole show. For, uh, let's just not stop. Here's my guess. This UI that they're using is so inefficient yeah. that it ca- it uses more power. It, the way they used to render the taskbar was this classic Win32 something something that has been around forever and always worked great. And they re-implemented it in Windows 11 because everything has to look cute and perfect and like pandas and zebras and stuff. And it's just not capable. It's just, it just, it's a Fisher Price thing. I am so excited to have seconds on my taskbar. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to upgrade to the dev channel just to see it. Mm-hmm. We have a clock. So as you know, I have a clock here that does show seconds. We have a clock uh, on the set in the other studio for Ask the Tech Guys that does not show seconds. And my team is upset. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they said, well, that's our time code. (laughs) Well, you're also, so you're surrounded by technical people. (laughs) And I honestly, I I believe the real problem is it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, Uh, And if you're really, if they're really geeky people, it should be a binary clock anyway. I agree. Actually, I yeah. ordered, in response to this, I ordered a, a seven-color e-ink display, which I'm going to hand program. Oh, I, I desperately want to see color e-ink. I oh, it's this. out. Um, and um, Well, I need it to be out on a Kindle. Oh, right? wow. <laughs> That's like, the, but this is Kindle-sized, uh, right. and I can drive it with a Pi Zero or something like that. I have a Raspberry Pi 3. But, I think, uh, so what I want to see is obviously quality, but refresh, you know, page turn type yeah. stuff. Well, that's I'm why the really seconds may be a significant battery drain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> don't you put, really you're not going to put it on that thing, are you? That's no, gonna look no, terrible. I won't have seconds on that. But I thought I could have other stuff, you know, like club, club memberships and, yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah. weather forecast. And It also has the benefit of not, it's not going to have that weird flicker and reflective type things you get know. with screens. I think they're getting yeah, better and better. and be- Oh, you mean yeah, on TV? So. Yeah, yeah, there's no yeah, refresh compared rate. compared to, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. no refresh rate. Yeah. Effectively, right. no fresh rate. Yeah. We've we've solved that in, mo- in the modern times. Boy, that was a big deal though uh, mm-hmm. in tech TV twenty years ago. Oh, we had to yeah. do all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah, you get that. Yeah, yeah you get that refresh. You yeah. know, banner on, you the, get on the, the screen thing going. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh man, the things we did. We actually because you couldn't do a screen capture for some reason, which we do routinely now all the time. Look, mm-hmm. I can I can do it right now. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. But in the old works. days, by the way, this is hysterical. Yeah. Thank you, Teku. Um, but in the old days, we actually had to put a camera, point a, had a TV and pointed a camera at it. That's incredible. And you couldn't pull a, a zoom because it, mm-hmm. you'd have horrible moraes. You had to get the camera just right so there was no moraying. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Don't move anything. Don't move anything. It's kind of amazing. 
Times have uh, changed. Yeah. Now we don't. I mean, these sure. are all these screens. I guess they're LCDs now, so it's not as big a deal, right? Right. right. They're mm-hmm. not CRTs. I guess if we still had CRTs, maybe. I bet if you put a CRT, it would. I mean, you away. know what is strobing sure. is the Nixie clock behind me has been doing that ever since we He's put it. It's got a little throb, yeah, a little throb, yeah. and that's a that's a you know because the frame rate of the cameras is different than the mm-hmm. or the yeah, refresh rate. That. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. Back to back to Windows. Yeah. So, uh, Leo will recall last, last summer, I'll call it, mm-hmm. I had this growing uh, body of evidence that there was something wrong with the 12th generation. I Intel still have processor. this. I have, and I have it on Linux. It stalls yeah. on my 12th. There's something wrong. That Dell 15. When you dock it. Uh, no, no, oh, I'm not oh, docked. docked. It just so, pauses. Well, I experienced it docking, so. Yeah. Yeah, there's something wrong. There's something I thought wrong. we'd figure so, it out, but maybe not. Well, yeah. So here, what we know uh, about this type of thing in general, just and I honestly, this only entered it onto my radar because of Microsoft and Surface and Surface Gate when they released Surface Pro Four and Surface Book One, and they had all kinds of uh, hot bagging issues and and you know firmware type issues, uh, yeah. power management issues. Um, what you what I learned at that time was that every microprocessor shipped from any manufacturer ships with all kinds of flaws. Yeah, and it is the responsibility of the PC maker to fix those flaws through firmware updates. Uh, it's not Intel's responsibility. Microsoft was so upset with the, it was the first, there was, this was the first time that they were first to market with any generation chipset. They were first mm-hmm. and they, they were the first to discover the problems and they had all kinds of problems. They actually stopped supporting certain generation Intel chipsets in, in a fight with them, with windows 10 um, as, as to show them how serious they were about this. And Intel, you know, kept coming back to them and saying, guys, this is your problem. You have to, yeah, you have this, to fix this. This is how, uh, this is yeah. the, one of the few times you finally have a company large enough that's right. to express an opinion to Intel. Well, because everyone else understands that's how it works. I right. talked to. They also uh, don't have a choice. That's how yeah. Intel does things. I, I talked on the record and off the record at, with friends from Lenovo and HP who both told me the same thing. Because yeah. I asked the question. I said, so that's you guys must have had ma- massive problems with this, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, my, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. This is the, you know, they just don't know what they're doing. They're new at this. And, uh, no, they, they never had problems with that. I think it was the sixth gen sky, sky lake, sky lake, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyway, flash forward to today or to yesterday, I guess last year, 12th gen came out and I started experiencing this issue across multiple machines. Um, H, uh, USB hubs, um, mm-hmm. Thunderbolt three and four docks, same thing, huge performance issues. Um, it often expressed itself when you had lots of browser tabs open. Didn't matter what browser it was. It didn't matter if it was Chromium or Firefox, by the way. Um, but you see it in other ways. I was, I see it in Microsoft Word. It's a big problem. Anyway, the point is, um, Intel, uh, not Intel, uh, HP and Lenovo both issued a flurry of firmware updates last year for their various PCs. And they've not confirmed this. This is my theory, but my, my belief is that they were trying to fix this issue. That, that's what we were seeing there. Right. So, flash forward one year, I just got my first first 13th gen Intel Core based PC. It, it's very interesting because the difference between this PC and the previous one, because I tested the other one last year. In fact, the other one last year was the one that the first one I ever saw this problem on. Mm-hmm. Literally, the only difference is the processor. It's the exact same piece, except now it's a you know a 13 out of 12. It has the same number of cores, the right. same number of each type of cores. Everything else about this PC is 100% exactly the same as the last year's version. It has exactly the same problem. Interesting. Yep. So I've been, because we're here, 
I, this company was nice enough to send me the product here so I could test it. I've already shipped it back via FedEx. That was hilarious getting that done in Spanish, but we did it. <laughs> and I tested it on a Thunderbolt 4 dock and on a USB-C hub, and I had the same problem. So that's not a lot of evidence. I don't want to proclaim <laughs> that this problem persists. Uh, I will test other PCs this year with 13th gen chipsets and we'll see. But based on this one thing, um, my fear is that this problem. But, I mean, the, but the 12th gen and 13th gen Intel chipsets both use the same chipsets. They both use the 600 and 700 series chipsets. So if yeah. it's actually, it's not the processor, it's the chipset. Switching the processor is not going to change a thing. And it didn't. Uh, and I, so the, one of the problems I run into with this stuff is, um, you know, if, if Lenovo in this case sends me a computer in, in March and I mm -hmm. review it, I usually take a couple of months. Uh, to, I, I should say the product is usually in my house for a couple of months before I have to ship it back. Right. So if they fix this problem in June or August or whenever it is, I don't really see that. What I, what I see are newer machines that have the same chipset, but now it, se it seems to be fixed, right? That kind of thing. Right. Uh, it is interesting to me that this particular product had the problem last year. I never got to see if it was fixed in this particular product, right? And I, and I wonder if it's specific to chipset, like the, it could yeah. have been 690 for both. Could have been could 690 be, yeah, for the 12th right. or 13th, yeah. and it's addressed with the 790s. Okay. I, I, mine, yeah. the new machine I that's built true. for she must be obeyed, and, and I built one for me as well, was mm -hmm. 13th gen 790 chipset. Now, that, I should uh, we should also differentiate here. You're using a desktop chipset. Desktop chipsets. Yeah. So it's but, possible that this problem is only in the mobile chipsets. That's possibly. I have I've not. Uh, well, maybe once I I have. I think I have had one 12th gen desktop chipset in, but I never put a dock on it, right? Because why would right. I? You know, it already has all the expansion you need. So, um, anyway, I, I, again, I don't want to present this as it's back, baby. I, I but I, it probably is, right? I, I, I was yeah, hoping I just, that this would the get fact fixed. that they were using the same chipsets for 12 and 13 mean. Okay. It, it probably was never addressed by the processor at all, especially you when you talk about that particular problem, like Thunderbolt and yeah. so forth. Like that's Northbridge stuff. That's yep. not yep. the processor. <clears throat> yeah. I just, right. I, I, uh, I should say this does not happen on Qualcomm, does not happen on AMD, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever version mm -hmm. of Ryzen you're on. Uh, only happens. I, I, it does not happen on 11th gen or earlier Intel either. Yeah, I'm convinced right. it's the processor or the system on the chip because it's happening in Windows and Linux on this same machine. Yeah, I think it's in the chipset, not the yeah. processor. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I would it, agree I, with know, that. I mean, yeah. okay. I, as I was, I don't know if Leo heard me earlier, but I, I just, I want to be really clear. I'm not 100. percent This is one computer. So, well, I have one too. Um, so that's two computers. Yeah. Well, this is no 13. Oh, you have a 13 gen? No, I have 12th. Yeah, no, I, I, oh, I had a dozen 12th gen. I, that one uh, was adequately tested. Oh, you're saying the 13th um, is the only one. Yeah, 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 same problem. Same yeah. problem. So we'll see. The year is going to go on. I'll have more computers to look at, um, and we'll see if I have the same problem. Here, on here's one. another question then, Paul. That mm -hmm. 13th gen unit you had, was it DDR4 or DDR5? DDR5. DDR5, because that would be the newer chipset. Then. Yes. Yep. Yeah, although that hasn't, DDR5 has been around for a year or two, and I think, sure. I believe that, no, I, I know that the, the last one had DDR5 as well. Okay, yep. yeah, and, and then so then you wonder would the DDR4 implementation be better? Like, yeah, right. although again, it's, that's yeah. that's separate from the actual interface stuff that would affect Thunderbolt right. and so forth. I leave um, <clears throat> I have a computer that I leave here just in case, and mm -hmm. it happens to be a computer that I use for screenshots for the book, which works out really well for doing that stuff here and whatever. It's a I don't remember what the gen is. It's a tenth or eleventh gen 
Intel, whatever. It's just a basic U-series laptop. Uh, it is the most reliable, wonderful workhorse. It got rained on when I was in Mexico a year and a half ago. <laughs> it has survived that. It continues to, it, it, it comes right up. It works on the dock. It's, you know, so when I, if, if all goes south here, I know I will have this thing and I right. will be able to get work done and be able to do shows and whatever else. You know, I mean, I like having multiple workstations and the, this particular workstation for the streaming stuff, this is an eighth gen. Yeah. And it's, hey. I, I mean, it's so good. I changed out all the spinning hardware. Like when I was doing, yeah. building a new machine with the 13th gen, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not going to build another one. I'm just going to switch out all the fans. So, which gives it another four years, right? Like that's there's the only thing to that's going to fail. Yeah. I should, now that I'm kind of walking through this, I should also mention these problems, I believe are exclusive to the P series, which was new with the 12th gen and is right. carried forward. Right. And P series sits between U and H and whatever else they have. E. It's a 28 watt part as opposed to five to 15 for you. And then mm-hmm. maybe three to 15, whatever that is. And then uh, I think I want to say 54, 56, something like that for H. There's something about it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and, yeah. oh, and, and I should say uh, the 12th gen was the first where they moved to the hybrid architecture, right. Where right. they had performant, and efficient cores. And, I, you know, it's like when you buy a Volkswagen, don't buy the first gen of anything. It's They're going to screw a lot of stuff mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Give them a couple of years to, you know, kind of iron out those things. And I think that's what we're seeing, whatever, wherever the blame lies, right? Well, it um, reminds me of the early hyper-threading models where yes. certain workflows would look like, the processor would mm-hmm. presume it could go through the, the lighter weight hyper-threaded it, line. Yes, and then it realized right. it couldn't and it would bonk. To right. go back to the primary or line. Or worse, it thought it actually had a multiprocessor yeah. CPU or multiple CPUs. And what it really had was threads. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, yeah, so, exactly. This and, is, and, and again, those were, those were solved by firmware, right? Like yeah. you learned at the minimum. I mean, remember in the early days when that, that first generation of hyperthreading came along, you shut off the hyperthreading in BIOS. Well, I'll tell you where you don't get firmware from, Intel. Mm-hmm. For the most part, maybe if That's you have true. an Intel uh, NUC or something, obviously they have firmware uh, and and they have they have software updates for hardware. I mean, obviously they do for drivers and so forth. But your firmware for Dell or uh, HP or Lenovo or whatever company comes from them, mm-hmm. right? It's not a rebranded a- Intel thing. It's it comes from them. Well, and I hope the guys that at Intel that are building out that hardware go beat the snot out of the chipset people. Like they know where they live. Right. Like that, that's one I, I, way. I don't want to excuse it, but like a, it, it's such a major architectural change that maybe we shouldn't be surprised if something like this happened. In fact, we, maybe we should be happy. This was the only problem because well, most and, then, and that they are problem. chasing it around. It yeah. just quietly in the dark. Yeah. Like they're not telling us, hey, we know this is there and we're working on it. I was lucky to notice it. Honestly, if this had happened a couple of years ago, I would have been working on a desktop PC and I would never have docked these things. I, it just so happened that this happened during a time the previous year, it switched to a dock laptop. Yeah. So I started swapping out the laptop and only noticed it on 12 and 13. Now 13, I should say. And, uh, but if I was just using it out in the world, I probably, I'm not sure I ever would have drawn the screen. Yeah. I don't think I, mean, I could have. You know, and here you talked about the other whole issue on this, which is that think about all the different things we expect to just work here. These different combinations of hardware, like the idea that you're going to inter, you're going to interface in new interfaces live sure. to a machine, plugging it into a dock. This is the miracle of the PC. I, I, in the 1990s, I was at a party in San Francisco and I got into an argument with people from Apple who were convinced that they had better engineers than Microsoft. Right. And I said, there's absolutely no chance that's true. Right. They said, what you are you did. talking about? And I said, listen, you guys make five pieces of hardware. It's easy. Microsoft has to account for like millions and millions of combination 
of different uh, hardware, you know, plug-in cards and whatever. I said, it's a miracle that Windows get works every day. <laughs> I said, you guys, you guys have you been easy. Living in your walled garden, yeah. you've got it so easy. Yeah. What are you yeah. talking about? I feel like anyway. if this really were uh, a universal problem, we'd know about it, right? I mean. This yeah. is the pro. So this is my problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, it's a niche problem. I don't normally follow, like, I don't read other reviews that much. I certainly don't read reviews before I write my own reviews. But when this started happening, I started paying attention. I said, how is no one noticing this? Mm-hmm. And I think the reason no one notices this is because most reviews are kind of um, superficial. You, the people, they bring them in, use them for a couple of days, run benchmarks, and then they use a boilerplate thing to pump out some review. I don't think people actually use the damn things. Like, not real world, not, not usually. Work. Yeah, I, I use these things true. for at least a month. Yeah, I, I, that's the you know, difference. Just, yeah, I agree. I really do. I, I'm not trying to be critical of the whole industry or whatever, but there are, I will say, I get overwhelmed by reviews because there's too many to do. And I have to go, sometimes I have to say, look, I can't, I just can't. I'm so far behind. I can't yeah. take more of these into my house, you know? Um, and I think those, I think other people just have no compunction whatsoever of run the benchmarks. Yeah. So yeah, this one's seventeen percent faster than last right. year with some random. Looks nice. Like anything. the buttons. Yeah. Feels yep. good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Set it yeah. back. On. And then they send it back. And it's no real I did not work with I, it I on a day to day basis. Yeah. I mean the uh, the and pandemic made notice, it hard because I couldn't travel. But I would think end users would be complaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they were doing this. It doesn't happen yeah. all the time. Well, see, it's not happening to me with a doc. It's just happening to me. You know what the the, the ultimate example of this problem was was the note five. What people, everyone remembers that this thing exploded, right? Caught on fire. What people don't remember is that reviewers had the device for one week. Everyone gave it five stars, the best phone ever released. Everyone, you can't find a negative review of this thing. No one had it long enough to notice this thing didn't work right. Yeah. You know, because they're all tripping over each other to be first. Yeah. And that's what this world is. It's not, it's not their fault. Well, and it serves the manufacturer well. Yes. Gonna, they they right. the rush to be out quickly means you yeah. don't. And then you can say you can say, look, it's not my fault. Uh, they gave us one week with it. I everyone else public. I had to be there with everyone else. That's what mm-hmm. everyone's doing. Uh, I'm sorry, your plane exploded. Uh, it's not my fault. But is that's there a really anybody dangerous... who, uh, in your opinion, does good, reliable, long term laptop reviews? Or I've never seen anyone do any. any Notebook I, check it, seems to really get deep into the weeds with it. There are sites that are really good for specifications. Yeah. Uh, GSM Arena, I think it's called, is really yeah, good for that. they're great for specs, yes. They don't um, even review I, site, really. There's a, you know, I, I mean, I hate to. So I think the, let me see if I can find this one. Um, I don't, in the same way that I, I, I don't want to, I don't have complaints about specific individuals. Right? We like also know there's no money in it because look at DP Review. Which yeah. did the best camera reviews uh, for twenty five years? Amazon mm-hmm. bought them, just killed them. Yeah, um, I'm, try- I- I'm trying to find the the one person I really like, but yeah, um, it's. Oof, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I no, no one leaps out. I, I do. I do. I trust any. Of that? I, I don't. I try not to read reviews. That's the thing. Like I, I. <laughs> no, well, I don't want to be influenced. You need I, to keep I, your I, head clear. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. I would assume the bigger publications, the PC Mags, PC World, you know, those guys are probably okay. I, you know, but the the pro I, even at main, I don't know, like um, even mainstream publications, I feel like. It's just, it's kids now. It's younger people. They put the, the intern types on it because it's exciting to get a free product, you know, for a little while. And, 
show it off and, and write it, you know, it's, and to me, it's like, yeah, okay. But I, I want to make sure this thing works. And plus, you know, I mean, I would also argue not every laptop deserves a long-term review. Yeah, that's right? for sure. Like it's, yeah. You're also going to make this assessive. Is this a laptop someone's going to keep for a good long? Mm -hmm. I like to focus on uh, what I would call premium business class computers mm -hmm. because they tend to last longer, obviously high quality. They tend to have less crapware and stupid stuff going on, you know, um, if you buy a consumer device, it doesn't matter what the company is. My God, the amount of cleaning you have to do yeah, to get the, the amount of pop-ups and, oh my God, did you know you, you have to start paying for McAfee? I just opened the thing. I, how was my, how was my subscription not valid for some amount of time? You know, I, yeah, I, I built out a, a daughter's machine with a fresh copy of Win 11 mm -hmm. consumer edition. Right. I was horrified. It's um, like, it just Windows, right. I, what I often write in my reviews is, in addition to the crap provided by Windows 11 Home, comma, you know, <laughs> because it does ship with crap. Well, and 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 it, it's seizure inducing. Like it literally spazzed out at you. Like it's okay. just like, no, click me, click me, I, no, click here, click here. All right, I'm gonna, I'm actually, I'm gonna sort of read this. I, I, I don't mean I. Lenovo makes high quality computers. Mm. I that they put this stuff in this particular computer is surprising to me. Um, if you look at the list of stuff in the start menu, you won't see a lot of what looks like crapware. What happens instead is that you're using the computer. I was, I was yelling. I was in the room yelling and my wife came in and she's like, what is, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? This is what I wrote about that day. So I'm not happy to see McAfee live safe, Amazon start menu, but the incredible number of pop-ups that occurred when I was working was even more alarming. An app called Lenovo Welcome tried to get me to buy Premium Care Plus support for $75.90, install four more crapware apps, pimp a, prop, a Dropbox promotion, and manage my games using something called Legion Arena, despite the fact that this is not a gaming laptop. Then Lenovo Smart Key popped up me, popped up so I could get quick access to Lenovo applications and services and add a superfluous new floating uh, toolbar to my desktop. Then Lenovo Vantage popped up to help me maintain my PC and proactively fix any issues for just $29.99 per year. Then it popped up again and offered me theft protection. And then it popped up again to activate something called Smart Lock for $49.99 per year. And then it popped up again to see if I wanted to extend my warranty coverage with something called Sealed Battery Warranty. What the? I bet what? if you bought everything, it'd be more than you spent for the laptop. I just got the damn thing. Yeah. Like, could I could have used it. Was this a ThinkPad? Just out of curiosity. No, it was a yoga. Uh yeah. I think Which is, that, no, it's it's no? no, but it's a you this thing starts at fifteen. No, I know. I have a I had a yoga. That yeah. is that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this is hundreds of dollars worth of stuff they threw at you, right? Yeah. Now I want to be clear. I, I, I have great respect for Lenovo's products, especially mm -hmm. ThinkPad line, but yoga, uh yeah, those two I would say. Uh, their premium stuff is fantastic. And I, and this is out of character. I, I don't, I have not seen this before. Um, but you know, PC makers are under a lot of pressure to make money on a, you know, on per unit. And it's hard in the PC space. It's a low margin business. And, uh, man, they have gone down a dark path. I have never seen anything like what I just described. That never, these are things I want to be clear. They pop, I was working and they, I, and they popped up to interrupt me. Right. With dollar signs. Yeah. Uh, 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 what? <laughs> Generally speaking, when you pay for a product, stop interrupting me for what I wanted to do with the product. Like that's yeah. rule number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shifting my focus, like I'm mid typing, and you've yeah, popped something, so I'm now terrible. typing to that. Well, yeah. by the way, never correct.
Microsoft Word and Teams both do exactly what you just described mm-hmm. right now. They both do it. Yeah. I, multiple times I've been in a meeting on Teams and something has popped up and so, first it was Excel. I don't remember the other one. Say, so, hey, did you know that you could sell it? You could say, share an Excel spreadsheet with your work uh, buddies, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, did you know I'm in the middle of a freaking meeting? You yeah. idiot. Like, I'm you, like, what are you doing? I'm literally in a meeting, you know? Um, and the other one is word pops up these things like, uh, Hey, you know, you could get this thing on mobile, click here to get the QR code, dude. <laughs> yeah. No. Or, Hey, did you know you could use OneDrive and, you know, protect blah, blah, blah. Did you know the document I'm editing right now? is saved in wait for it OneDrive are you kidding me <laughs> no i mean th- these things are stupid i i word popped up something to remind say hey you know just so you know you can click here to save this document at any time thanks i've been using this product for 30 years are you kidding me <laughs> i'm pretty sure i know are you kidding me like that's how dumb this has become i'm sure ao i'm sure their ai is fantastic anyway <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, there's, you know, or, or their AI will fix this problem. I don't know. I don't know. Well, this is why I use Linux. I'll be honest. <laughs> Never bothers me for that stuff. Listen, my psychiatrist loves that I use Windows <laughs> and I, I, you know, has literally asked me I, saying, I don't know if you intend to retire someday, but I, I recommend you just keep going. I don't see any end to this. In fact, got to put my kids through college. Yeah, yeah, right. I have a boat. I'm th- I have my eye on a boat. You know. All right, let's take a little break. So Paul could get. You're coming home this uh, tomorrow. I'm sorry yeah, to hear tomorrow. that. And then what? Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to be there forever. Leo, I want to be here forever. We have kids and cats oh, and kids and cats. I know. Freaking real life. I, I don't know. know. I hate that. <laughs> I know. You got to finish the sale. So, how long are you going to stay uh, in uh, the states, and then when do you go back? I don't. We don't know. Yeah. Don't know. We're gonna see. We're gonna see. I got the Lisa same and effect I, when I go up to coast, right? Like once you get yeah. there, it's you're like, why am I going home? Like, why am I leaving? Yes. Yeah. Place? yeah. yeah. Well, never retire because, uh, or take time off because then, yeah, you have to go back to work. Right. We're going on a uh, three-week trip to Lisbon and Rome in about a week. Oh, lovely! And, uh, if I don't come back, places. you'll know why. Lisbon and Rome and anywhere else, right? Well, lots of places. We go to Lisbon for a few days. We get on a, a boat that goes uh, mm-hmm. kind of around Spain and Morocco yep. and. Monaco, Monaco and, there. yeah, yeah, we. I love Malta. We didn't. We're not doing Malta this yep. time, but I love Malta. And then we end up in Rome. We're spend a week in Rome and visit with Padre nice. and see the yeah, sights. Nice. Yeah, I can't yep. wait. Yeah, he'll give you a behind the scenes tour. That's going to be great. I think he said he would. I think yep. he said he would. Uh, so I won't be back. Nice knowing <laughs> you. Thanks for playing. So long. Uh, but I will be here next week. So you'll be your last chance to abuse me. Then it's it's out of here. I'll be back, unfortunately. I won't want to come back, though. I know how you feel. Our show today brought to you by Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E, a device trust solution that that fills this little missing hole in in zero trust architecture. Device compliance. See... Uh, if you're an Octa user, for example, Collide can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance because it fills that hole in a zero-trust architecture. Your identity provider only lets known devices log in apps, right? But how do you know that that known device is secure? You don't. Just ask LastPass. 
one of the four DevOps guys who had keys to the kingdom, the last pass S3 buckets, had his laptop at home, was just working along, logged into the network, I guess, or whatever. I don't know what he did, but uh, he happened to have on that laptop uh, a Plex, version of Plex that hadn't been patched in three years, had a known bug. That was all it took for the bad guy to get on the laptop. Then the guy, then the DevOps guy logs in, supposedly, you know, trusted device, logging in securely to apps. It's zero trust. Yeah, but it wasn't because the device wasn't secure. Many of the devices that are in your fleet probably just like that should not be trusted. Maybe they're running on uh, out-of-date uh, OS versions. They've got unencrypted credentials in their download folder. Their browsers are not up to date. Or maybe they're running Plex from three years ago. If a device isn't compliant or isn't running the Collide Agent, because that's what happens, you put the Collide Agent on all these devices, uh, you can't get in. You can't access the organization's SaaS apps or the other resources. The, the, the device user can't log into your company's cloud apps, your S3 buckets, until they fix the problem on their end. And this is the best part. They fixed the problem on their end. So it's not going to overwhelm your IT team. Collide explains what's wrong, says, hey, before you can get in, you got to fix this, dude. Uh, uh, an example, a device uh, employee doesn't have an up-to-date browser. That's always a recipe for disaster, right? Tries to log in with Okta. Okta says, well, you're verified, but I'm not going to let you log in <laughs> because Collide says you have an out-of-date browser. And here's how to fix it. And that's the beauty, because using end-user remediation can drive your fleet to 100% compliance without in, in, you know, overwhelming the IT team. Plus, users aren't the enemy anymore trying to get by with things. They're an ally. They're, they're ex you ex explain to them what, what, what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, and why. Suddenly they're educated and you ha your life is much better. Without Collide, IT teams really have no way to solve these compliance issues or stop insecure devices from logging in. With Collide, you can set and enforce compliance across your entire fleet. And it's completely cross-platform, Mac, Windows, and Linux. Honestly, FlashPass have been using this. Just imagine, you know, the difference, the, the, the reputational damage, the, I mean... Collide is unique in, in that it makes device compliance part of the whole authentication process. So when a user logs in with Okta, Collide alerts them to compliance issues and prevents them, if they're insecure, from logging in. It's security you can feel good about because Collide puts transparency and respect for users at the center of their product. To sum it up, Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit K-O-L-I-D-E, collide.com slash W-W, okay? Collide.com slash W-W to learn more, to book a demo. It's just, it's just obvious this is the right way to do it. And just think, uh, you know, the risk you face. Collide.com slash W-W. We thank them so much for supporting Windows Weekly. And you support us, of course, when you go to that address. So make sure you don't just go to collide.com. I know you could. You know you could. But if you add the slash WW, it makes all the difference to us. All right. Back to the loop template. <laughs> if only. Yeah, let me tell you something else I can't stand. <laughs> I, I'm excited that we've got AI down as the 
third book. Oh, yeah, we're yeah, making progress. Yeah, you know, it's not after, gonna after gonna, a month of it being number one. It's not one. gonna stay there. Uh-uh. It's going. No, okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> we can't. We can. None of this deserves a lot of attention, but I think it all deserves to be noted, right? So, the AI. I mean, this is this is what we're. You know, this is like our new pandemic. It's it's like all there is. But this is mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, you do you hate this or do you just you're tired of the subject or? You think it's, it's a good thing. You think I, it's I, snake I, oil? No, 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 no. It's real. It's, a, and, it's so much more fun to talk about than NFTs. Thank you. Thank yeah. God we and, don't have to talk about that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this so, is I well, and that's the question I always am asking everybody: is is this like that, or you know, is this the next no, so, uh, VR metaverse thing? Or Bill is it Gates real? described it as the next GUI, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever one thinks of Bill Gates, I certainly have my opinions. I would say this is worth reading. Um, you know, he certainly has had his influence over the industry, and um, I, and he rarely talks about technology. What's yeah. you know, yeah. normally what you'd find on Gates Notes is stuff about yeah. vaccines. That's and, right, and uh, you know, we're, we're, yeah, that alone Africa. is that's right. And so my my write up about this was very short, and I tried to focus mostly on the tech stuff, specifically how it impacts Microsoft and. Um, uh, he, his original article is worth reading because he talks about, you know, he's been involved with the open AI guys and he, he talks about some of the things he says, come back and tell me when I can do this. And they came back a, a month or two later and he's like, yikes, <laughs> you know, and, and he's, he, his basic uh, premise here is this is, I've only seen two transformative things happen in our industry. And one was the GUI. And the he other talks one about uh, Charles Simone showing him the GUI yes. in 1980. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, Mr. Hungarian notation, right? Yeah, right. So I I was talking about this with my wife this morning because she's the only one I know here. And um, she <laughs> and she speaks and, English, uh, yes. And she speaks English. So the thing I the, the way I described this was um, you know, the internet was such an enormous thing and it gave you access to all the information of the world. You know, if you think about five years before you were online in that fashion. You wanted to know something simple, something that was historic, like who was the 37th president or, you know, whatever, 17th president. You know, you could go find an encyclopedia and look that up. If you wanted to find out something about a very specific part for a car and whether it was reliable, you know, we get into weird areas where most knowledge was out there, but it was inaccessible. Mm-hmm. So the internet made it accessible. I think that AI is the thing that's going to be the fabric that pulls together all of that information that's out there and makes it useful to you. Um, and it will do it through obvious methods like, you know, productivity tools that we're familiar with, uh, all these AI based, uh, image creation utilities, everyone's, you know, so excited about. And, uh, and I think there's going to be in obvious things, but I think it's going to permeate basically everything in the same way that the internet did. You know, I think it's a little odd that Bill's comparing it to GUIs, which is a user right. interface revolution. I think you maybe compare it more to the internet or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, I mean, no, that's but, been it one is of the, a, but it is an interface because yeah. it is a way to communicate with the machine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Back, I, referencing Road Ahead again, he talked about right. the smart agent. That's right. Right. This may be the the first manifestation of the smart agent. And this, uh, I think article, you and I are both cynical for the same reason. We're in, in we're on the climb of the hype cycle right now and we know it's a hype cycle i also feel like this is the whatever number of stages of grief you know it's like you have you you have to you have to cope with this thing over time and you're you're you kind of shift i don't mean you one Mm -hmm. kind of shifts where they stand on it and and how they perceive it and what they 
you know, think it's going to do to the world. And it's, you know, it's important to remember that there are ethical issues here. There are pros and cons. Mm -hmm. There are very real world issues around jobs, you know, um, where some people's jobs are going to get very easy are going to get easier. Some people are going to lose their jobs, you know, and it's, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot, it's, there's a lot here. And of course, a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with windows or Microsoft, of course. But we're still on the way up to the peak of inflated expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say until about a month ago, two months ago, Microsoft would pop out some nonsense claim about AI. You know, they would say something like, uh, you know, it now with AI powered, you know, whatever spell check. It's like, yeah, what? Okay. Whatever. Um, now everyone is making this claim, which makes it hard to understand what's truly good and whatever. Actually, oh, by the way, to give my wife some credit, you guys both know she's incredibly intelligent, but, uh, I, I had, I made that case like I did about the internet. And I said, you know, it's kind of like the internet, except now it's giving us the, you know, the ability to understand all that data that we have. And she goes, yeah, but wait until quantum computing gets involved. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like, okay, that's pretty good. Um, that's the, you know, then we just hit the singularity, I guess. I don't know. Mm, yeah. That's anyway. a different, different hype cycle for a different set of problems. Yep. Yep. And I, yep. I hope to be long retired before we have to deal with that. Uh, based on the last I, I, time I, I was pay, briefed on uh, it. I pay attention to it, but you know, it's a supercomputing problem space. Yeah. It's yeah. not a common user interface. Most people right. will never touch a quantum. Computer. Are you suggesting that the iPhone, you know, 17 won't have a chipset in it that enables quantum computing? Come on. I, I would love that that might be true. <laughs> I just see, you know, yeah. It's brave of you. I'm getting out of the uh, prediction business because sure. I could Oh never, my God, it's impossible. I could now, have isn't never it? seen where we are yep. today. Know. Just, you know, uh, when Copilot, when Copilot, GitHub Copilot started, you know, there was a yep. lot of mockery about it. Um, now developers are like saying fifty bucks a month for this. Wow, this is great! I can fire five developers. Uh, no. I uh, you know stable well, there's diffusion. The job, there's the job angle right there. Exactly. Yeah. Da- when Dali first came out, it was like, yeah, those are those are pretty terrible. Now Midjourney version five, indistinguishable for, for photography. Uh, in fact, there are people making a living selling stock photography that they generate in Midjourney. It's. Yeah. Uh, I think things are happening in a way that uh, I think we're unpredictable, that's or right. sounded like it's, sci-fi. It, it, it has accelerated. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. You know, um, uh, GitHub announced Copilot last year, sometime probably mid-year, mm-hmm. and um, it, it it was met with skepticism. Like, I'm sorry, are you scraping the web and then yeah. providing Stack Overflow that's what answers? It, like. you it was know? cut and paste from GitHub public yeah, uh, repositories. Right. Well, let's take a look at the next gen, Leo, because they just announced something called Copilot X. Because I guess we're back doing X again. It does voice? Um, it does. I mean, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> so by it's, by it, the way, Copilot an, is two years old. It came out in twenty. Oh, is it two years? Okay, yeah. wow. excuse me. Wow. So, uh, Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code will include an integrated Chat GPT-like chat experience right in the code editor. It will recognize the code, any type of code you're writing. Display any any displayed error messages. Provide in depth analysis and explanation of what the code blocks are supposed to do. It will generate unit tests. It will propose bug fixes. I think generating um, unit tests is a really interesting, for instance, yeah. use of this because nobody wants um, to write unit tests, and when they do, they honestly they lie, and they're not yeah. complete, and they're you know like, well, see, I got a test. But if ChatGPT does it, I think that's really interesting. Or, or yeah. Copilot, which uh, is the it, branded chat GPT. You guys use you know, GitHub, I assume, to some oh, yeah. degree, mm-hmm. right? 
So one of the things you're supposed to do with a pull request is write descriptions oh, yeah, of what this you're is, doing. This is fascinating. It's writing yeah, pull so requests. It's, it's going to pull request document now for you. <laughs> and I bet you know, it'll do I, a great job. This well, is it, the kind of thing it's else, good at. Mm-hmm. I mean, the main thing it does is at least gets you past the blank screen syndrome, right? Exactly. It does remind you of all the things you've done because it's parsed the code. This you is probably clean up the copy a bit, maybe, I hope. Maybe. It will probably be more thorough. So one of the mm-hmm. problems I have is you stare at that and you think, I do what I do in comments in code, which is just state the obvious. Right. Made an improvement to the for loop. Yeah, not so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. useless. You know, <laughs> useless. Um, but it'll yeah, know so the difference. Start, and, the, yeah. and and it's, uh, you know, it solves the hallucination problem, too, because, I mean, the kind of general use of Bing for a search is risky mm-hmm. because it could tell you you're dead, for instance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, or this, something you don't know is not true, which yeah. is actually the and, bigger problem. Yeah, and you right? believe. But this, right. because it's operating, you know, whenever it's doing a summarization mm-hmm. or it's operating, it's doing a new pull request, it's pulling from facts that are on the page. Right. I'm going to presume it's not making stuff up at that point, and and so I won't. I, yeah, I'm not. I won't go through every single item I have in this list of like AI that has occurred since we last talked. But what you just said, <laughs> this has been a well, one week. I know, it feels I know. like Look a the, year. You know. One week. So uh, Opera, right? Obviously, makes a web browser. They're they're adding more. They actually have some AI stuff already. So they're adding Chat GPT to the sidebar, which I think is you know in browser, right? Which is what Microsoft is doing with Bing and Edge. But they're also adding AI prompts. And this is very, very interesting. This is something that appears up in the address bar. So it will do such things as you're reading something complex and you don't understand it. It will shorten or just explain it to you. You can learn more about the topic that you're looking at. You can generate a tweet based on the text you're looking at. Uh, it's all kind of from the address bar, right? So it's interprets, it summarizes, and it helps you ex- learn and explore more uh, right directly in the browser. And I got to say, you know, for all of the kind of nonsense around AI, that sounds useful to me. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is an actual productivity tool. T- TLDR generators. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I sometimes things are just too long. Yeah. You know, I want to get to the point. What is he what is what are they trying to say here? Yeah. Um, Can it do a change log? That would be fascinating too, right? Yeah. I mean right. just think all those things that that are really grunt work. Oh my God. Yes. Every once in a while, like I'll publish a book update and I have to figure out what I did. <laughs> well, you it's hire like, somebody, I, I imagine, I, I know uh, many authors do to do an index. Oh my God. Indexes. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Index.ai, you know, perfect. We, we spent a lot of money on uh, transcripts for just a handful of shows. Whisper sure. AI now can do it on your desktop. Yeah. Uh, and it does a pretty credible job. It's, Got a little ways to go, but at this point, that's probably next week. I mean, next week it's probably dude. You tomorrow. Just said it. It's going to happen before we're done. It's incredible. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, yep. Bing uh, is now generating images, right? And I there think Everyone, everyone's doing images. Yeah, but these <laughs> right. are good. This is good. everyone's doing. Images. These are good. Yeah. So I will. I will put. So the image at the top of the uh, document we have in Notion here is from Adobe, right? So Adobe has an, an interesting approach. That I think is going to resonate with content creators, especially the you know professional content creators, right? Who pay for the Adobe suite of apps and all that stuff. The idea here is that they're going to generate AI based on your description, like a lot of tools do. But the competitive edge, so to speak, is that this stuff is all legally safe to use and ethically sound because it's created within their 
they're not grabbing copyright. Their, their learning models are not just grabbing everything that's out in the world, no matter who made it and whatever the rights are. They're grabbing stuff that they know they have the rights to, and you have the rights to as an Adobe customer because you're licensing their products. This is all under uh, Creative Cloud for yeah. Adobe. And it's not just the Creative Cloud, but yes, it's a Document Cloud, Experience Cloud, and Adobe Express. And I've only heard of two of those, <laughs> but right. um, but yeah, so Creative Cloud, you know, professional Adobe Express for the rest of us is how I think of it. Um, and then the you know documents. So what's a smart angle for them to take? Yeah, right? but it like, might be a very short term angle because. Hmm, the courts true. have yet to rule on, you know, all of these illustrators right. who, have, who are suing, uh, you know, right. Getty Images is uh, suing. Yep. But the courts, yeah, yeah, and the, I've heard legal experts say the courts are not, are not going to, this is, this is going to end up being transformative fair use. The courts are going to rule too you know bad. What? Tough luck. That's, yeah, I think you just explained how Microsoft made the loop AI, that, uh, loop uh, UI, they used AI. <laughs> and, and, and Notion was the learning model. So and, if the yeah. courts come back and say, you know what, this uh, this you have no this suits have no merit, and I think there's a good chance, then Microsoft, then Adobe's done something unnecessary. It's like go yeah. ahead, steal they, all the images. So there's a the the pro, so imagine you have a copyrighted set of images, right? There you cannot use these for commercial use without paying for them. And then uh, and then there's some series of steps, and then you arrive at some image out here that looks nothing like any of those things. Like how many? How far away does right. it have to be is it from when's a copyrighted work? Yeah, right. uh, and you know this Andy Warhol just case, the Supreme yeah. Court's ruling on right now is going to be germane in that. That's all about fair use, and it's mildly transformed from the original. So I told you, I what, I um, I cr used uh, I think it was Dali to make you know Frito Kahlo style oil right. painting of Mexico City to create a logo for our YouTube channel. Right, and then I'm nervous that this thing was stolen somehow. I cropped pieces of it and I did a reverse image search to see it. Is this somewhere out there? Is this a thing? Right. And uh, I couldn't find it. No, so, it's transformative. Uh, and and so yeah. here's, I think, what legal people are saying, the arguments I've read. Every artist bases their art on previous art, right? To, you don't, to some degree. You don't yeah. learn in a vacuum. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the really interesting case is the Getty case because you do see Getty watermarks, yet... Well, sort of, right? Kind of yeah. mangled. Well, Getty, Getty, and Getty has historically, oh, I'm sorry, has always been incredibly aggressive. Going yeah, but they may lose this were... case. It's very risky yeah. Yeah. because right. if they lose it, uh, stock photo uh, libraries and libraries like Getty are suddenly mm -hmm. in a lot right. of trouble. Sure. And, yeah. and and I think it's fair to say, look, it mm -hmm. looks like Kahlo because it was trained on Kahlo-like images, but that's not Kahlo. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Paolo never painted a picture of Mexico city. Right. <laughs> Actually. Right. To my so knowledge. It's, it's, it's uh, and, I don't think you can say Kahlo or any other artist just cause it's my style. Where'd you get your style from? You know, right. uh, you, it was not generated in a vacuum. So we'll see. Everyone, everyone stands on the backs of greatness. Right. And when you are a writer, an artist or whatever you You're, are, you copy, you know, first. We're, we, we have, well, we have influences as yeah. I would say, but, mm -hmm. well, but, but we, uh, first uh, yeah. 10 years of any yeah. creator, it's all copies. Then yes. you, you, you know, you refine, you have your own, own thing, style, yeah, but you it's, de your... it's derivative from all of that work. Yeah, so I, now Adobe's probably smart because they're, business is with creators so to do something that's pro creator is probably a smart thing to do but i can guarantee well, you if the, these court cases uh, are lost by all the artists everybody's going to go back to but <laughs> adobe also becomes a talking point for the court it is that's possible true. to make a copyright free version of this yeah, right? yeah. yeah but, but if you the don't need argument to, you don't need it's to. impossible not to. yeah 
as long as you massively expand the concept of fair use, then you don't need to. The point being the argument, there's no way around well, this, so is moot yeah, because right, Adobe showed right. there is a way What right. we're really saying is, does fair use still make sense in its current form in this new environment? Mm-hmm. It may be the, like so many other things, maybe this needs to evolve to account for what's happening in technology. Yeah. Sure. As it usually does, right? Copyright yeah. was not all that interesting until we had the printing press in the first place. Right. Right. There you go. Yeah. No, good point. I, I'm interested to see how this goes. I would be surprised if they expanded fair use that much. No, I don't think they're going to either. <laughs> but, but, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And, and the fact is, like, mm. because Adobe does show it on Twitter, the real trade here is, is the Adobe stuff any good? Given the limited training set that it has, can it make the things right. you want? Oh, I'm sure it can, but maybe meet. not as good as Midjourney, uh, and certainly yeah. you can't do a Frida Kahlo style picture of Mexico City because actually I, that's what's at the top. <laughs> is that from? Is that from? Uh, yeah, that's Adobe. Adobe. Yeah. Oh, well, that's yeah. interesting. But and so you gave it the Frida Kahlo prompt. Yeah, I gave it exactly the prompt I gave to Dolly. So is it what's as good interesting? As? Is it's completely different. So the um, the one from the ones from Dali, and I, I used one of those for, like I said, for that logo, which I, I prefer, are much more impressionistic. I guess you know less realistic. This one looks like it's a, it almost looks like a painting of a real thing, mm-hmm. you know, a real place. Even though there's no and place and, like and this you can see the breast strokes. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It, it's um it's more detailed, mm. I would say, than the other ones. Um, and so I do the set there. Adobe I have, I have is a saying. This came from licensed material. Right. Yes. Okay. Yep. And how now, much was now, it? Because well, it's free right now. It, it's on it's in beta. So you have to have you have to be part of one of their paid service plans, like Adobe Creative Cloud or whatever. Um you can see the logo, the little watermark in the Yeah, at the bottom this says is, Firefly. This yeah. is well, it also says you can't use this for commercial use, right? So, oh yeah, not we're just, for commercial we're just use. Having, because it's it's not out yet. This is right. just a preview. So I got into the preview. Um, I was just curious, you know, like I'm, I'm interested in all of these things. Um, I often feed them the same prompt because I'm, you know, it's kind of a, a good way to test uh, these things against each other. I mean, I, f- I feel like this satisfies my request and, and, and I should say there are seven other of these, right. That I created that it, it sorry, it created. Um, and they're all roughly the same style, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I don't know that I would have used this in the background of a logo like I wanted to, but. I also like the, they have more options about uh, aspect ratio and things like that, which uh, so people Dolly may use not this have. not because they have to, but because they'll feel better about it. I'm sure you do. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You don't want someone to come back. The last thing you want is an ugly email from a lawyer that said, "Hey, right. nice logo Season there." Oh, well, that's yeah. a good reason. on your, yeah. on you your stupid money. free. Yeah, exactly. This right. YouTube channel that you make no money from. Uh, we've, it looks like you've had X number of views. So that's uh, that many violations and you owe us $11,000. You know, well, whatever. it would be prudent to wait, uh, to, for commercial use mm-hmm. until these cases. And there are a number of them are a decided. So I don't know if you've might be a few met years. the world, but I don't think anyone's waiting. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is the, the problem. A lot of waiting the, lately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Anywho, I, I, we don't have to go through the list. I, I just quickly will mention Google did launch Bard. So if you have a Google account. You might want to go check that out. See how it you have to apply. To I still haven't been accept, accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I haven't pulled uh, but, any strings. Uh, Opera, but. I don't use Opera, the browser, but if, uh, you I would be worth looking at just to look at the AI prompts and the Chat GPT stuff uh, that's built into the sidebar now. You yeah. know, uh, there's a lot going on. So 
If you are one of those Bing chatbot enthusiasts, uh, like we said, you can generate images now from text. Uh, so that's cool. And I believe that that's broadly available. I think that, you know, there was a wait list on that. I think it's just kind of out there. Um, I still notice I can pretty much access it with Edge and not elsewhere. So I don't know if that's going to be a thing forever, but uh, your best results, at least my best results have been with Edge. So, And I wouldn't use it otherwise. I'd flush that thing right down the toilet if I could. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, you know, if you want to look at Bing, you got to do that. Very interesting. We live in uh, yep. interesting times, yep. don't we? Mm-hmm. We sure do. Mm-hmm. That's nice, you know, because it's... Uh, it was kind of a lull after the pandemic, and now it's interesting again. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I do. Uh, I, I am seeing more people starting to use the phrase "large language model" and less. Which is crazy, AI. right? Yeah, just like uh, yeah, as if yeah. this is just out in the normal, like mainstream language. But it's, uh, it's also that fits with that basic idea that artificial intelligence is what you call something that doesn't work. As soon as it does work, it gets okay. a new name. It becomes vision systems, object recognition, yeah, yeah, sentiment right. analysis, large language model. This is the very beginning of the Gates article. He basically defines AI and then generative. No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, artific- uh, AGI, which is what? Mm-hmm. Artificial. Generalized intelligence. General yeah. intelligence. The, thing we, yeah, the thing that we don't have. The thing we, we don't have. And we he, and he thinks we will not have. Yeah, I no, think he's I think, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great book I read called Algorithms Are Not Enough that just gets into <laughs> how complex a thing you're talking about here. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we're not even close. We're right. nowhere. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So uh, that's maybe that's the quantum computing bridge <laughs> that we need, yeah. you know, to get there. Jeff Hawkins, yeah. you know, the guy who created graffiti is a neuroscientist, wrote a very good book on the subject about 15 years ago. His opinion mm-hmm. is that the human brain just isn't a von Neumann machine. It's not the same architecture. So a von Neumann machine, which is what all our computers currently are, can't possibly uh, oh do general intelligence. But that's why he founded Numenta, which is uh, uh, the theory was to create <laughs> chips that uh, worked in a massively parallel way like the human brain does. <laughs> Because our brains are they, fast. They said that Qualcomm chips couldn't emulate x86, and I do that all the time. <laughs> I like well, the, this go. is impossible, but if you give me enough money, I'll make it yeah, possible. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if thing. they've solved the uh, the thing, but I think <laughs> his point is probably well taken, that you're trying to duplicate a, a process that happens in a very different kind of machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but Which is not to say you can't make it look like the same process is happening. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's happening here. Yeah, it looks like it's thinking. Yeah. Hey, listen, we think dogs understand us. Of course, we're going to believe this baloney. We're going to take advantage of your anthropomorphization to create a a product, right? Right, right. I had someone try to tell me how ChatGPT knew something, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. ChatGPT knows nothing. um, No. Let me see if I can. I don't want to. Pull. Thomas Friedman today uh, chimed in. Oh, that was a good op-ed. I thought. What did you think? It was, that? but yeah. I thought it was good. But he said one thing where I was like, nope. No. I, I, I no. What he said. Yeah, he he doesn't get it because you know he's not. This is not his space. But he. I, I'll just paraphrase because I'm not going to be able to find it quickly. But he basically said something like, "I was amazed at what this thing was able to create for me uh, out of or invent or something." And I was yeah. like, "No, that's not what it's doing. Like, you don't yeah. understand what's happening." It is amazing that it's able to pull in all this stuff and then present something to you. But don't, don't. It's not you're creating. It the, well, it is creating. I mean. But no, that's not the right word. I used the wrong word. It, yeah. it, it, it someone will find it. But he, I, I was, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, not exactly. You realize that's kind of a layman's view of what's happening. And, and that's the problem. People are going to think that these things are authoritative and intelligent. 
Uh, it is a little overblown to call it our new Promethean moment. I don't know. If, <laughs> sure. I don't know if he wrote that headline though. So yeah. Um, uh, let's it's see. Probably somewhere in the first third. Um, yeah. Craig Mundy's giving yeah, so him Craig a demonstration. Mundy, right, former right, uh, yeah. Microsoft, right? Right. Uh, gives him the demo. And I realize. Let's see. Yeah. He asked Craig. Craig asked ChatGPT four to summarize. Yeah, Planet past Word the things that it mission did to where he kind of words. says, I was amazed. Did so like perfectly. That, yeah. did 200 words in a few seconds. Then it did it in Arabic. Then it did it yeah. in ABC Darien versed, which is hysterical. Whatever, yeah. uh, I could barely sleep that night, writes Friedman. To observe yeah, an AI writer, system, too. its software, microchips, and connectivity produce that level of originality in multiple languages. Originality. There was There's level of originality. Word, yeah. Nope. In seconds each yeah, time. Yeah, it's like... No, there's no originality. Well, That's there the is point. some. It's wait a minute, though. I doubt anybody has ever done an ABCD Aryan version. It doesn't matter. The point was you were fed these different things. You well, know it's, what I mean? original. Like, it's, it's original. It's original. It's. <laughs> I, okay. Well, I, I, all I can do is based on what it was fed. You know, it's just. It, it's. Uh, there are only so many notes in the world, you know. You've heard every song eventually, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's just, okay. You know, yeah. so many monkeys with typewriters are going to do Shakespeare well, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's uh, unfair to say this it's is... synthesizing data together. Yeah. But it's a re the creation is something that's never existed before. We're humanizing what we're seeing, just like we do with animals, right? Mm -hmm. we, yeah, see we should definitely should not You know, the dog does a little thing with the eyebrow, and you're like, he knows he's We should he's not dead. anthropomorphize this, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. But yeah. then we are doing it. I mean, it's normal. It's human. It's just, I'm not, it, it's not, it's normal. That's, it's mm -hmm. kind of the problem. Like, we're yeah. going to make this, these mistakes. Yeah. There, the, I, I have now, I've heard inside of Microsoft, there's a lecture going around. It's encouraging Microsoft people to mm -hmm. resist anthropomorphizing the products. Right. Right for exactly that reason, it's like, don't be part of overhyping this. Right. Well, she's Microsoft invented the overhype of this. Oh no, but, they're yeah. they're PRing the snot out of it, but they they yeah. what they're trying to do is get their people to not promise things beyond right. what's possible. Here, here I have asked uh, ChatGPT four to write a description of SharePoint and ABCD Arian. Well, that would be easier to understand than the English language version, honestly. <laughs> Actually, it didn't do it, it properly, mm -hmm. but maybe uh, this isn't Bing Chat. This is uh, ChatGPT4. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, astonishingly brilliant. There's an AB. SharePoint caters to diverse enterprises. There's a DE. Facilitating grandiose handling of important jobs. Oh, wow, it is an alphabetical order. Knowledgeable, lean, and mighty, the network optimizes productivity, quickly revolutionizing seamless team utilization. That, that versatile nonsense. Web pages. The network optimizes productivity? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, Xenodokial, which I've never even heard of, but it does have an X, yet zippy. <laughs> Allow businesses to create dynamic environments for enhanced collaboration. That was pretty That's impressive. Pretty That's pretty good. It That's did it in good. alphabetical. It did it by the alphabet. But all it did was, it was just fed a dictionary. <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm not hey, looking. It, it dropped Xenodokial on it, which is friendly yeah. to strangers. Ah, uh, it's so. Xenodokial, yet yeah. zippy. Sure. All right. Well, let me see. Uh, what, what should, let me ask it something else. Just to see. I mean, look, at that's original. That sentence has never been said before in the history of time. I guarantee probably you. shouldn't be said again. <laughs> uh, okay. So, but it is original. It's a creation. 
Well, right? But, but that token, every moment of every day is something original. Yeah, I don't Yes. Uh, All right. Can so we just there's see nothing the special about it being day. original if everything is original. Too much to ask. Yeah. I could barely sleep that night. That level of originality in multiple languages in seconds. I would ask it to describe Paul Therott in Arabic, but I wouldn't know if it's accurate. Mm. <laughs> Plus, I don't want to start a jihad here. So, <laughs> I, well, you know, my son, like I keep saying, you know, when he was very young, said they should invent a thing that didn't answer any question. I said, Mark, you're going to be very excited to know they didn't invent that thing. But I, but you know, this to me brings that kind of home. It's that, like I said, the internet is all the data, and this thing is the. You know the filtering or the uh, the combining of that. You know the making sense of that data, mm -hmm. and and I think that's the most interesting part about these large language models is that they provide they could provide an interface for doing doing the thing that a lot of people struggle with, which is dealing with all the information available on the internet. I think that's exactly what this yeah. is saying, but I'm not sure. I, yeah. I I would hope that someone <laughs> will take on the problem of only show me quality information. Yeah, you know, one of the problems we have with with GitHub Copilot is right. you can't ask for secure code, or, you yeah. know, code that respects security principles. Right. And then by that same token, you can't ask for accurate information of the big <laughs> chat. Sure. Hey, I want to know the answer to the question, but be truthful. Yeah. The Windows Weekly Show is an online radio program that discusses latest news updates and features of the Microsoft Windows operating system. The program is hosted by, I'm sorry, Richard, Leo Laporte, Mary Jo Foley, and I'm Paul Therott. <laughs> sure. Discuss developments, provide their analysis. Oh, I can correct it, right? Um, yeah, just put, I mean, uh, Richard, just put a wig on. No one will even notice. Yeah, that's it. I have to start drinking more beer. <laughs> I'm just going to help it. Oh, there you go. You're feeding the demon. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to be helpful. Thank you for the update. Here is the revised description. There you go. See, it's fixing it. I can yeah, see I how people would kind of like go, wow. Uh, I heck, I'm going to be impressive. It actually yeah. takes Mary Jo Foley out and puts me in. Like, it that's did. pretty cool. Yeah. It did. And it did it in Arabic first. <laughs> Well, we think. You think. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think any of us read it, so I'm sure it is. I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm sure it is. Well, let me see. I, I might be. We can see. L'émission Windows Weekly est une émission de radio et ligne qui traite des dernières actualités, mises au jour et fonctionnalités du système exploitation Windows de Microsoft. And by the way, the French version still has Richard Campbell in it. There you go. There you go. Not Context, re, but it's but it's Richard Campbell. There you go, Richard, <laughs> <laughs> Monsieur Richard Campbell. And we haven't we haven't run the cat the the token cash out yet. That's right. I'm still in the same uh, yeah. token. Sure, cash sure, out. sure. That's right. I don't know. I you know, uh, look. I don't. It's I agree with you, cool. Richard. I don't want to be uh, uh, horn snoggled, uh, and I don't want to anthropomorphize. Mm -hmm. And so I'd, I See, won't do either, just, it's but it's so a pretty impressive do, yeah. thing, whatever well, it is. Well, and, and the, the thing you remember about the hype cycle is eventually we get to the realistic expectation part, right? right. right? So well, I think we're starting we're, to. I think that's why Copilot, for instance, now is being accepted because it's genera It's not. Uh, it's not working in a vacuum. It's the same reason the text to uh, or speech to text with generalized speech isn't as good as it is in a narrower vocabulary. It's very good mm -hmm. in medical and law. 
because it's it's a narrowed field. Right. And a field largely based on memorization. Yeah, uh, and that which too. The machine does a good job. That on, too. Right. Well, um, yeah. When you have exams based on memorization, this stuff kills. When it's, you have it's memor- got when better SAT scores on- than I do. Sure, but if you have a if you have an exam based on comprehension, doesn't right. do so well, right? Yeah. Well, it's not comprehending at all. I yeah. guess that's the exactly. Point. Yeah. yeah. Except when it? we anthropomorphize, right? <laughs> or is he? Time yeah, so for the Xbox segment. Mr. Paul Thorat will probably take the lead. Yeah. Uh, so Phil Spencer told the Financial Times this past week that as soon as Europe passes its Digital Markets Act next year. It's going to open up a mobile game store on iPhone and Android and solve the, you know, the problem that it has, which is that it's not on mobile. And that's the thing. I, the, what this, aside from how exciting that is, if it happens, um, the thing we've lost sight of, everyone is so focused on Call of Duty because Sony will not let this not be the conversation, right? That the Activision Blizzard acquisition is primarily about the future of Xbox, which is mobile. Right, which is getting Xbox into the biggest part of the gaming industry, the part it's not in at all, which is mobile. And I think it's important just to kind of put that in perspective. Not that Call of Duty is not expensive, or not important rather, but rather that, uh, and, and, and is obviously about bolstering it, uh, you know, it's game studios and so forth. But the notion that Microsoft would pull Call of Duty off its most successful platform is ludicrous. It's always been ludicrous. And this is what Microsoft keeps saying. Uh, Categorically, objectively, stupid. Um, but the big hole in Microsoft strategy, and I, I have to say, is is mobile, right? Um, there's a couple of weird things to that. One, they are basically waiting for regulators to kind of fall in line on two different things. One, that the EU will implement this new law that's supposed to come, I think, into effect next May, if I'm not mistaken, because you know everything happens super slow. But also. Uh, that regulators are going to approve this um, acquisition, which we'll get to in a moment, but that looks increasingly likely, by the way. Um, But you know what? Microsoft isn't completely uh, innocent here. Microsoft has had years to enter the mobile market. Um, If you look across their many studios, I I ask yourself, how on earth have they not made mobile versions of some of these games? Um, Many of which... uh, would run great on modern iPhones and iPads, which have incredible processors and graphics um, and high-end Android phones as well. Uh, it's, uh, I hope they're not just relying on regulators to make this happen uh, or not just relying on uh, the Activision Blizzard acquisition to occur, but uh, this is something maybe Microsoft could have worked on a little harder over the mm-hmm. years, right? They've made a couple of Halo light games, um, but Halo would run fine on mobile. It would, it would run beautifully. Um, so we'll see. So that's I mean, in Activision Blizzard making more money off mobile than right. consoles and PCs combined, right? I mean, yep. it does make mistaken, a lot of sense for Microsoft to buy it for that purpose because it it has been wildly yeah. successful. I, I, I could be wrong. I hate to say this out loud, but I feel like they make more money off Call of Duty mobile than they do off of <laughs> oh, it's probably Call true. of Duty elsewhere, too. Yeah. I think yeah. so. I mean, look, what, look uh, at which Fortnite. Sounds crazy. I think Fortnite's a really good example. I'm sure yeah. the bulk of the billions they've hauled But then in. let's go to the counter-argument. How much money does Sony make on mobile games? None, uh, almost. And so that, and, But that's the thing. These guys are very comfortable in their own little markets, but, you know... But aren't we getting are, to the point, then, that, that Sony's complaint about mm-hmm. this acquisition is about trying to delay Microsoft ending the mobile market in a meaningful way. Yeah, this is literally, I just, we just don't want this to happen. 
Right. We don't want a competitor. We mm-hmm. well, we we like them as they are now. We yes. We know, don't want them to go get uh, into a market that we've never been able to get into or never really yes. tried to get into. And, and I would add, by the way, cloud streaming to that. Um, mm-hmm. They don't. They've just kind of failed at that. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. In fact, uh, let, let us not forget. I don't remember when this was. It might have been pre-pandemic, for all I remember. But Sony partnered with Microsoft on a future game streaming service. Mm-hmm. Remember, they were going to use Azure. Um, right. Because well, they, they don't have their own cloud. So right. they've right. got to use somebody's. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, I didn't write this up. But I really enjoy Foss uh, Patents as a site. Uh, and he has written something really interesting today about the Microsoft acquisition of uh, Activision Blizzard. And his basic um, point is that this is very increasingly, it's become obvious that this is going to happen, that we've moved into a new phase where it's not just about complaining about it. It's like, well, how are we going to fix this? Like, what do we do to make this go through? And that this is, when you look at what regulators are now talking about, um, some of the ideas are dumb, you know, (laughs) for sure. But um, I, someone, some, uh, I think the UK said, well, what if you, what if you offered Call of Duty to Sony for more than 10 years? Like <laughs> 10 years is enough guys. Okay. Yeah. Like, come didn't, on. I didn't, mean, uh, didn't Microsoft point out in 10 years, Sony, you could make your own call of freaking duty. Yeah, that, that, exactly. You could just make something. And by the way, Sony has in, had incredible success with game franchises, including some that are first person shooters. I mean, there's no reason they couldn't do a military shooter that, yeah. you know, if they wanted to. I, they don't, that's all they want. That's I, the point. I, Richard made the point. It, it's, it, this isn't really about Call of Duty. It's really not. It, yeah. It's just keeping Microsoft down. That's what it's about. Um, and also, whatever anyway. language you can use, that'll, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, it, it's just increasingly is getting strident, I think. Yeah. Well, um, and it's interesting to see more organizations like Epic coming out on the other side of this going, I oh, think this is a good deal. Or, uh, by the way, Epic, literally, the, uh, and Tim Sweeney, incredibly critical of Microsoft and their Windows 8 app store and the fear that this is somehow it was going to take over, you know, uh, for app stores on uh, Windows. And obviously, mm-hmm. that never happened. But it's interesting to seeing him come around to what Microsoft is trying to do today because those guys were bitter enemies back in, at that, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, today, he's singing a completely different tune, which is kind of interesting. And, he, you know, and of course, he wants the same thing. He wants to put his game store on iOS and Android as well, of course. Uh, right. And that's... Of course the, yeah, you, know. so. you made an interesting point. Should... should uh mobile become the primary platform even for triple a games yep yeah i think so that's well, a really yes. interesting point well it gets to the point that the primary device for most people is a is a phone right right that is the general purpose you're powerful enough now. to do it and um it, it what it really is is about numbers right this is unit share. it's like mm-hmm. the number of units there are billions of phones and only hundreds yeah. of millions of pcs yeah i mean and, and, and listen, consoles in a future, like imagine a future in which cons- console gaming disappears. Let's just pretend it disappears, right? People are playing games on mobile and they're playing games on PCs. The PC guys are going to be the same jerks they are today. <laughs> yeah. But if you want it to run in, you know, blah, 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 whatever, you have to, you know, th- you can, we, we can build a PC that will always be better. And it's like, yeah, yeah you'll always have that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thousands of dollars and a limited mm-hmm. market. And, uh, yep. No, I know, but they'll always have that. Like that, that will always be yours. That will always be there. It's fine. It's good. Yeah. You don't take it um, away. But- no, of course not. In fact, I presume. Well, see, the problem with uh, well, mobile the, is you, iOS dominates mobile, and that means you can't use the Unreal Engine. So you're going to be using yeah, but, Unity. So it's going to hamper see, your desktop development. 
This is, but I th- see, I think desktop is always going to be important, even if it's a tiny share, because no, I agree. Cloud gaming, cloud gaming will be based on PC. Mm-hmm. And it will but, be based but it on means these that and you this- can't use or you won't want to use the same engine for mobile as desktop, and that's a kind of a non-starter for some people, I think. But I think oh, interfaces boy. are so different, you're going to need to anyway. You would want to. It's, yeah. The screen's only to so big. Unity. The interfaces are so limited. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. My building just gave a little, little shimmy shake. Little well, you are, in fact, on a fault zone, uh, famously. That's the first time I've experienced that. That was a little yeah, weird. Mexico City has like, uh, had some pretty yeah. horrific earthquakes. I'll tell you what, no, if never, we go dark again, um, I'll <laughs> send my drone down your way, and maybe you can dig you out. I don't know. I'm on the sixth floor of a building here. I don't want to <laughs> have anything bad happen. Um, anyhow. No. Uh, it's good. Do you think uh, anyway, of these little tumblers yes. as releasing the pressure so that you yeah, don't have it. to worry yeah. about the big one? Surprised my wife hasn't come running out of the room. Um, no, it's interesting. Okay. This building is uh, designed for earthquakes, obviously. Okay. And but one of the but one of the weird things is like if a big enough truck goes by, you get a little side to side. It's kind of like we you know, we were on the boat last year, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you, you'd be asleep, and it was kind of that weird, yeah. that weird sashaying back and forth. Yeah. It's a little bit. It was like that. And uh, but this was. By the way, I started a new chat with Bard, and it retained mm-hmm. the correction. It knows that you are now the host of Windows Weekly. Congratulations, mm-hmm. Richard Campbell. Even I, I feel special. Even the AI, the, ma- the Matrix, now. appreciates your contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, you know, it's wild. This is wild. What else is uh, What else is uh, yes. going on in the Xbox? Uh, Netflix. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. They're starting to do games. Um, I'm a. I'm a. I keep bringing up this insuretification thing with mobile, especially. <sighs> I'm not a big fan. They're, they're, you guys will appreciate this. My wife didn't appreciate this when I bored her with it the other day. But there's this thing, um, when you think about apps, wherever they might be, mobile apps are like Unix programs. So usually like they do a thing and that's it, you know? And I, I and I think that's the normal way. I think that's how we think of apps. You go in into an app, you do this thing, you go into a side app, you do this other thing. Um, there are exceptions. You know, Microsoft Outlook on mobile obviously has calendar and email and contact, you know, blah, blah, blah whatever. But I don't like podcasts in music apps. Right. I don't like games in streaming video apps. <laughs> I don't. This is a, 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 a company putting their own corporate aims over common sense and over what its users want or need. This right? is net. This is Netflix trying to survive. Every yeah. other streaming service is bound to a studio, right? right. And in the end, okay. Disney's going to win it all. And yeah. so the only way they, you know, yeah. wow. I guess well, you're except right. for one. Okay, but hold on a second. I, to, just to kind of point that. Netflix to me is the modern version of HBO, meaning that they have their mm-hmm. most original content. It's usually pretty high quality, and and I I'd like to see that form of competition. Yeah, um, except that now they're struggling with that, right? Yeah. Like no, they, I, know. I know they've made some duds. They figured out that duds are expensive. Yep, um, they're not sure how to do the right thing. Right. You know? So, well, I, I, it's easy to know how to do the right thing. Don't say yes to everything. There, yeah. there was a there was a point where if it was original on Netflix, it was going to be good. But once you get burned by that enough times, because there's enough garbage, and it's not just shows, by the way, it's movies too. Did, um, did, you, did you watch 1899? Not yet. It's in it, my queue. Okay. Well, and, and then, so 1899 is an interesting show, and I, yeah. I, I could argue the about it. time travel kind of a thing. Yeah, it's weirder than that. Yeah. Uh, and they had a very strong setup at the end of the show for a second season. Okay. Which they did not get. Oh, Netflix announced they didn't get it. And then, it, then wow. it came out that the reason they didn't get it 
was yeah. uh, that they that the first season didn't have strong enough watch through that not enough people watched the entire thing oh. to the end. Interesting. Okay. And it brought up this whole conversation about how many great series. Mm-hmm. It's not the first season that was great. Right. right. They mentioned things like Breaking Bad, right? Where, yeah. you know, yeah. Breaking Bad well, really Seinfeld only became... Seinfeld is a great example. Of that. A- absolutely. When it watched. And so, again, speaking to this whole idea of Netflix isn't necessarily a great producer of shows. Oh. You know, they're, they're struggling with that particular issue. Right. And a lot of that knowledge exists in other places. Yep. In, you know... I, I, oh, they uh, just produce the money that pays the producers of the shows. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they, it's the but, same model for Netflix with games as it is with shows, right? They write a check. Well, okay. I, I, I don't mind Netflix doing games. I would like there to be a Netflix games app <laughs> that I can choose. It's weird. I haven't even... Have you tried to... I mean, what do you do? You go to Netflix? No, I will never... It's yeah. in Netflix. Yeah, it's just in your... It's in the little list of things that you can watch. It's... Um, and what it's happens... Yeah, you know we make games... I don't know. I've you, never done it. I, it's so weird. But the barrier to installing another piece of software is so no, high. I hear you. I, I, look, I know. I, I just, I don't know. It's like Facebook and Facebook Messenger, right? These mm. are two different things, sort of. They should be two different apps. They're going to be again, apparently. Yeah, it's too I, weird. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, agree. I, I don't, I just don't like, I, to me, mobile makes sense because it's simple. And part of being simple is that we don't have Outlook style apps on mobile. Right. You know, uh, except no, that we do have no there are do everything apps. There are you, example, got, I, I, you got peanut butter in my uh, chocolate. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the office app is a good example. Or I, I guess it's called the Microsoft 365 app is, you know, that works. Uh, and by the way, I'll look mobile works. I, there, I'm sure there are millions of people that use it and love it. And it, it, it's fine. Um, I don't know. I think I think complexity is the problem. And I, I just, and I, I especially don't like complexity that has to do, like I said, with corporate aims. Hey, did you feel the, I think we just had an earthquake. Okay. <laughs> it was a truck. She tells me it was a truck. Yeah. There you go. It's easy to confuse. Well, that went on for a while. I've never felt that before. That was uh, it's a big yeah. truck. Like, like, like an earthquake, only it has a beep when it backs up. <laughs> no, well, we get, we get, no, no, there, there are stupid big trucks, trucks here, but, um, I've, that one went on for a long time. It was a lot of truck. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. What Anywho, else? Yes. What else? Yes. What else? Um, I, I I had my, I mentioned this probably a show or two ago, but based on the timing of the release of games for through uh, Xbox and PC Game Pass, I was like, I think this is going to be a month where they have three sets of releases, and they confirmed that this month by releasing or announcing MLB the Show twenty three. We're on version twenty three is coming on March twenty eighth. So it's only well, it's two games. I'm sorry, and also something called Infinite Guitars. Um, so they, there's two more games coming in March. We, here we are on the 22nd, and uh, they're announcing two more that will pop up by the end of the month. So this has been kind of a big month for Xbox Game Pass across the board. So that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, and this isn't such a great deal per se, but it is the uh, Steam Deck's first anniversary. And so uh, Valve is having a sale with their 10% off uh, actually until tomorrow. So you got to move quick on that one. Sorry. Yeah. March 23rd is the end of that. Hopefully you listen to the stream to it. I saw my first steam deck out in the wild and I have some you friends did. who worked on it. Yeah. 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 Steve. So I immediately pinged them. Sure. From the plane and said, Hey, I saw it. It was on a, it, and it was on a plane, right? Because that's where I've seen on a plane. Too. That's Same where thing. you use yep. them. Right. Yep. That's where I started to. Yeah. Yep. It's an impressive yeah. device. It's substantial. Yeah. It's not a, it is, you could yeah. kill no, a small animal. A little, it. It, you know, it's a, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a tray a, table. <laughs> yeah. It is a, it is a tray yeah. table. Yep. 
It doesn't unfold like a laptop, but everything but. Yeah, I right. played with it for a little while, and I said, I said, you know, I have a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. I don't need a Steam Deck. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there you go. The Switch is le- is a much more svelte machine than the mm-hmm. Steam Deck. Oh, yeah. Steam Deck and is, the games are designed for that form factor, and that's yeah. the big problem right. with Steam Deck. Though. That's my big problem. Yeah. I can't. I can't look at a PC, the text from a PC game on a tiny screen. I just could never. I'd have to have you know, Coke bottle glasses on and be right on top of yeah, it. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not a good experience. Yeah. But I guess we're always comfortable with it, Nintendo's ability to remake games on a new platform yeah. and just mm-hmm. and to just make. It's not just that they have a walled garden; it's that they have like six of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. even Portal yeah, the, on the Switch the is great. Games. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, it's, yeah. Why not? Why not? Hey, we're gonna get Call of Duty on the Switch. You know. <laughs> wow. If, again, I should say, uh, people forget this, but Call of Duty Three was on uh, the Wii, and you used the little nunchuck thing to throw the grenades, <laughs> which I have to say is is was it was cool in a way, but it's also hard not to let go of it because yeah, there goes the game, there goes the controller. You're throwing a g- grenade, well, you know. You, you want don't to want your controller to explode. Yeah, yep. That worked fine. Uh, Are you ready for the back of the book? Sure I'm am. ready for the back of the book, and. Some brown liquor. You know, this show brought to you, uh, as it always is, as it has been for more than a decade, by Cashfly. We love Cashfly. It's our content delivery network. We know, as I think you know if you have a website or a game or or video, the customers aren't going to hang around for your content to load. They will leave within a second. So don't give them a reason to leave. Dramatically increase your site's and your app's speed over long distances for global audiences with Cashfly. With over 3,500 clients in over 80 countries around the world, organizations like Twit consistently use Cashfly for scalability, reliability, and unrivaled performance. Some markets are more challenging than others, and content delivery costs can vary drastically. Partner with a CDN that knows what it takes to deliver content fast in global markets and is honest about the cost to get you there. Scale your content delivery in these emerging markets. South and Central America, predicted to be a significant emerging market in gaming and entertainment. Over the next five years, Cashfly has committed to navigating the complex governmental uh, regulations, tariffs, attitudes to understand how this market operates. And they've been launching pops uh, down uh, in South and Central America and doing a great job of it. IP traffic in Asia Pacific growing year over year by 25%. Australia is no exception. Part of that, right? Owing to a lack of early investment in the region, many network operators struggle to cover the entire Australian continent. It's a big place. With a presence in Melbourne, Perth, and Sydney, this isn't a problem for Cashfly. India is a market that also can't be ignored. Huge. One of the world's fastest growing consumer economies, mobile content consumption, and many business operations tied to the West by providing edge-optimized content tailored to the mobile market and dedicated transfer and caching solutions, Cashfly has your needs covered in the Indian market. And I can go on and on. We're so happy with Cashfly. Reach your audiences anywhere in the world with Cashfly's 50-plus locations. All over the globe, you'll get ultra-low latency video streaming that delivers video to more than a million users concurrently. Lightning Fast Gaming, which delivers downloads faster with zero lag, glitches, or outages. Mobile content optimization. If you've got a website, this is amazing. And it automatically 
does image optimization so that your site will load faster on every possible device. And you'll never pay for service overlap again. You'll get flexible month-to-month billing for as long as you need it. Discounts if you decide, hey, we got it nailed for longer-term contracts. But you get to design your own deal when you switch to Cashfly. We know it because we've been using Cashfly for more than a decade. And I wouldn't do it any other way. They saved our life. We Twit would not exist without Cashfly. Cashfly has been around building trusted CDN relationships since the beginning, since the turn of the century, since 1999. Cashfly continues to hold the track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. Cashfly, the only CDN built for throughput and delivering rich media content up to 10 times faster than traditional delivery methods and 30% faster than other major CDNs. Learn how you can get your first month free at cashfly.com. That's cashfly. I've said it many times. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Thank you, Cashfly. I think you can kick things off with your tip of the week. Yeah. I'm not sure I like the name of this. I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I know that most people think of me as Microsoft Windows, whatever, but honestly, I feel like a lot of my kind of professional life, it's been more around like productivity and efficiency kind of stuff. And I'm fascinated by things that can help me be more productive, right? Um, I am not a fan of meetings. I don't like scheduled events. I don't like alarms, you know? Um, and I was thinking through all this kind of stuff. And uh, over the holidays, I decided I was going to try to go down this inbox zero route because it, my inbox becomes a source of great stress. <laughs> and, uh, you know, depending on what it is, I want to make sure I'm dealing with email in some fashion. So if it's an individual writing me, I want to make sure I get back to that person, right? If it's a PR person, something going on in the world with an NDA or something, I want to make sure I'm on top of that. If it's garbage, I want to make sure I deal with that correctly. So my instances of reported phishing and spam email to Google uh, Workspace have gone up approximately 1,400% uh, since January 1st. Uh, I keep getting emails about it. I cannot believe how many things you're reporting to us. Why do you keep doing this? But I've been trying to triage email. And I would say Inbox Zero is um, not something you set and forget. You have to keep working at it. Uh, It's also Inbox Zero with an asterisk because there's usually three to five emails sitting in there because I keep things that are pending NDA type, you know, embargo things uh, until those things pass. Um, But I got to say, I've been very, it's been very successful for me. And in a weird coincidence, I mentioned this to my wife, uh, this was a month or two ago, but she's doing the same thing. And she Hmm. does something I don't do, which is she actually snoozes emails so that they come back again. I'm like, no, I want to, I want that thing to go away. (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want it to be like a little mole coming up out of the ground or whatever. Um, I was always careful with being the path of least resistance for certain subjects. Yeah. So there's, there, I've, I've, I've had a 24 hour tickle folder for a long time. Oh, interesting. Which is, okay. I'm just going to drop that in the 24 hour folder. Yeah. And then because you'll probably Revisit. answer this before I get there. After 24 hours, you still don't have an answer. Fine, yep. I'll do it. But I don't want to be the. Do not put energy into things you don't want more of. Right. Huh. And if you're the path of least resistance for something, you're just going right, to keep getting right, those. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I. It's. I would have hoped by this point email would have become less important, but in my life, it's incredibly important. And it's the well, primary way I you can change with. tools, right? Like it's a question of, are you going to move? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, one of the big advantages today too, is that email is very easily searchable. Mm-hmm. I have a rather ridiculous folder structure that I maintain for my, the documents that I write. But when it comes to email, 
I don't do any sort of filtering or sorting no. or anything like that. And uh, if I need to find something, you know, whatever it is, if Leo wrote me an email, I got to find it. Or if some PR person did. This two explains years ago, a lot, Paul. <laughs> I, not, I, <laughs> no, I can understand. Find that. No, email search works great. Okay. But you have to search. You have great. to know to search for it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, if I'm literally, it's like, I need to find this thing. I can't remember when it was, but I remember maybe the name of the person who sent it or the company. It's very easy to find. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to, you know, overthink that stuff. Anyway, nice. it's worked out for me. Right, I am it. not uh, paid by the company. I am just a, a happy user. It's not a company. It's just a way of doing things. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I almost forgot. I almost, I almost forgot to mention this, which is ridiculous because this is the biggest thing that has consumed me in a long, long time. Um, last week, I completed uh, Windows Everywhere, the book. It's available now at LeanPub. Oh, um, everything yeah. everywhere. All at least yeah. all the time. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. 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 Nice. So congratulations, friend. Yeah, thank well you. done. Thank you. Let me make this a note of This book is quite big um, and it's going to get bigger because I'm going to I'm writing, I'm already working on new content for it. But uh, for now, I'm, I'm going to kind of let it sit for a little while. It is complete, right? So the neat thing about this book is that unlike the Windows 11 field guide, which is ongoing and I keep adding to it, this book as it stands is com- a complete work. It's uh the history of Windows over 30 years from 1985 to 2015. Um, the second half of the, that history is considerably bigger than the first half because I was involved with it personally. And so I have <laughs> stories and internal things I got and whatever. And so there's a lot of pictures and blah, 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 whatever. So Windows everywhere, Paul Therott. So don't be fooled by the 90% complete thing. That's just... Well, I'm adding content to it. Yeah. Well, this, so there's a few things that are missing. I want to do like a Microsoft code word list uh, that's from the book. I want to do a terminology list. uh, And I have that new content I'm going to add as well. But it is a complete work. Yeah. And of course, you get the updates automatically, right? Or free or somehow. You get it for free. Yep. That's right. It's about 930 something pages. Um, You've been working hard. Wow. All right. And you set your price. Windows everywhere. Lean pub. Dot com. It's actually leanpub.com slash windows everywhere if you want to go there direct, directly. Yep. And you used, what did you use, Stable Diffusion for the cover? No, actually, so I, <laughs> um, I doing like masking cover. in, I yeah, so doing masking in Photoshop is very difficult. And I, I, I do it so infrequently, I always forget. So every time I have to do it, I look it up online. And I, I was having a hard time getting it work. And I thought, I wonder if Affinity Photo does this wicked easy. So I did this cover in Affinity Photo, and the background image is a uh, license. It's a Pixabay, 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 Pixabay hmm. image. It's freely licensed for commercial use. It is not the Bliss wallpaper. It sure, oh, looks like yeah, it sure wallpaper. does. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's not. It's a license free. It's free right. to use. So it's, it's a. It's like yeah. the Bliss wallpaper. Right. Um. Yeah. So nice from Windows XP. Very, very nice. Windows everywhere. The rise and fall. Of the most important software platform of all time. And it's available at leanpub. Somebody, by the way, questioned that subtitle. Said, "Are you kidding me? The most important software platform of all time?" I said, "Sure. So, tell me another uh, software platform that had a ninety-five plus percent market share, and I'll, well, we can talk." <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I I agree. I mean, from that perspective, it's absolutely. It's not even close. Yeah. Uh, app pick of the week. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yes, Visual that's Studio what you Code. said. That's what you said right here. In the, in the show notes. No, it's in there. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. 
I, uh, when it comes to books, I rely on um, Rafael Rivera for a lot of the back end stuff because he's just a genius programmer, technical person. He's just genius. And so one of the issues with Windows anywhere, everywhere is I was having uh, EPUB publishing issues that I, I, there was nothing I could do to solve them. And I was also having lean pub system errors that had nothing that was, I was positive. I troubleshooted for days and uh, he figured out in both cases what it was. And it was not something I could fix myself. It was this backend technical stuff that I don't even understand. So um, uh, in the process of this, uh, I said to him, I said, you know, one of the challenges with this book is it's like almost a thousand pages long and it's too long. And I have to do stuff, stuff with the images. I have to reduce the, I have to, you know, do whatever. And he said, well, you're using visual studio code for this, aren't you? And I said, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I use Visual Studio Code for like web dev and for Flutter stuff. Um, I've looked at it in the past for writing, like markdown type stuff. And by the way, I might be moving in that direction soon. That's a different story. But Visual Studio Code. So when, when you're like a web dev, one of the things that you do with that is you open a folder. This is a central feature of this product. It opens a folder. And then you can do stuff with the files in the folder. You can um, you can create new files, obviously. You can compile those files. You can do whatever you want. So what, what you can do, because the, the book is in GitHub. So you open it in Visual Studio Code, and then you can do a, a search and replace. So for all the images that were 100%, I don't remember, uh, thousands. I mean, thousands and thousands of instances. Just, if let me look at the thing to give you the exact number here for the this book, the the markdown, the number of markdown files that make up this book is 157, each of which contains from one to 15 images, right? So wow. do the math, whatever that is. So I need to, they're all 100%. I'm like, this is taking up too much space. I need to make them, what I did in the Windows 11 field guide, make them 75%. Do you have any idea how long that would take <laughs> if I went and opened every one of those files and did that manually? You can do a global search and replace in the folder. Did it in one second. It fixed the entire book. The book wow. went from 1,000 pages down to 938 pages in one second. Because and it's not just that. Size. I also did things like uh, correctly formatting image code. Um, there were things like M dashes and smart quotes and whatever else. I, I bang every one of these things. One second. One second. The entire book, get everything formatted exactly right. So what I can tell you right now is this book is the cleanest book from a code sense, perhaps that has ever been created. It is absolutely the cleanest book that I have ever created. Um, and it's cool. because of Visual Studio Code, and it's because Raphael recommended that to me. Good. As wow. has Mr. Campbell um, oh, more than once, I suspect. Oh, no. Big, I'm a big believer. It, yeah. it serves me yeah. well. Yeah. It is an incredibly versatile tool. And I'll just mention real quick um, – you can use it for, to write in Markdown. And mm -hmm. um, I, I, there's a couple of fun. There's a Microsoft Office theme extension you can get to make it look like Word, which is hilarious. <laughs> there are spell checking and all that kind of stuff. There is an output to HTML, which is critical for me because I need to output clean code to WordPress. Mm -hmm. So I can use this thing. It has a, um, what's it called? A doc, uh, a command, not a command prop, but the, it, there's a thing. It, it's like Control Shift P brings up this thing export it exports the cleanest html in the world it's perfect um this might be I, this may be turning into the thing i used to write as well um visual studio it, it, visual studio code is a is possibly the greatest single application that's ever been written it's mm -hmm. it's kind of unbelievable 
And it, a large part of it is because of the extensibility model that allows yeah. you to. And the community stuff. that's grown up around building yep. those extensions. It's tremendous. Yep. Yes. And it's Electron. Ah, yeah. Who would have thought yeah, it? You know, well, yeah, but you know something? This thing is not a big, fat, heavy anything. Yeah. It is very lightweight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. I know. I know. Yeah, um, we were talking somehow. about coding challenges some time ago. I was using Visual Studio Code. I never have to had to leave the environment. You can compile. If you're compiling, if you're using JavaScript, you can just run it. It runs from the internal uh, terminal. It, it's like every you don't never leave. Like it just works. It's rather incredible. I don't know. It's just Visual Studio Code is it's impressive. It is impressive. It's great okay. too. Really. Okay, I'm getting yeah. nauseous with all this romance. I'm just going to move on here. Well, listen, we started the show with a bunch of ranting. I wanted to end I, it on a high note. I, I would, you know, can't come on this show and say Emacs is the second coming. I'm not going to do that, but okay. Okay. <laughs> you wrote your book in Visual Studio Code. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, hey, don't be a hater, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're I think you're harshing is mellow. Actually, the fact that VS Code's free and available on every platform is pretty it is yeah. really amazing. I it's think it's incredible. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, let us get the run as radio update for Mr. Richard Campbell right here. I had a chance to talk to our friend Ned Pyle, who who, who mostly tweets about his dogs these days, but huh. he still works very much in the storage pace at, at Microsoft and a great thinker. He's been the guy leading the campaign to end SMB1, at least in the Windows world, but preferably everywhere because it's so insecure. Uh, you know, SMB3 being vastly superior. Uh, and we did a show uh, a while back, published today, about SMB over Quick, which is a protocol for doing secu secure file communications over the Internet. So just getting rid of, of uh, you know, VPN connections or having to store in the cloud. You know, cloud's great if it works for you. If you want to use Dropbox or OneDrive and so forth, that's awesome. But if you have a file server and you now have work from home folks, you're probably making them VPN in, and that can be problematic for performance, re resourcing. It's tough. And so modern versions of SMB with modern Windows, Windows Server 2022, you can set up these uh, quick-based file servers. They're really efficient, uh, and they protect things like UNC paths. So if you've got software dependent on a UNC path, like OneDrive's not going to help you. You're, you're stuck. Uh, but you can recreate that UNC path with SMB over quick. Hmm. Hmm. So hmm. very yeah. uh, interesting. Just a modernization of this is the new way uh, and a, an effective way to still provide files if you need to host it yourself. And a little brown liquor education, please. Uh, <sighs> Are you ready for the next phase of the story, friend? <laughs> ready. So, uh, you know, going back to the beginning, we talked about growing barley and malting and milling and mashing. So where, where we left off was at, in the mash tun, right? We, we have now taken the grist and run water through it, and we've made uh, wort, the same stuff you'd make for beer. You've mm. now extracted sugars using uh, warm water, and now it's time to mix the yeast in. We're going to ferment. And so uh, the water extraction process is fairly high temperature, comparatively speaking. We're talking 60 to even as high as 90 degrees centigrade. So that's, you know, 130 to 200 degrees Fahrenheit in the measurements of the oppressors. Uh, <laughs> but yeast can't tolerate that kind of heat. 
<laughs> Get with the rest of the world, friends. Yes, Get, yes, Celsius, yes. Celsius is your friend. So uh, yeast is uh, now yeast is going to consume these sugars and release alcohol as and, and carbon dioxide in the process. So this is where the alcohol comes into the equation. And yeast, the the typical yeast that they use is optimized for thirty four degrees centigrade. That's what it'll be the most productive. That's about ninety three degrees Fahrenheit. Above 35 degrees centigrade, the yeast starts to die. So you don't want to be that hot. So first problem with your warts, you got to cool it down. They have heat exchangers to do this. And then they will immediately introduce the yeast into the wart as it's pumped into the washback. And we'll talk about washbacks in a bit. As now, opposed to backwash, which we don't As want. opposed to backwash, which you don't <laughs> want near as much. Uh, it's interesting to think that we've been making whiskey for hundreds of years, and yet we've only just started we, understanding yeast is relatively new. So when you talk about original whiskeys back pre-1800s, the yeast mostly came from beer. So we'd long ago learned that lambic yeasts available in the air would would make alcohol out of grain, uh, malted grain, uh, to be turned into beer. And the process that was used in the pre, pre-1800s for making whiskey is they would stir the wart with larch sticks, branches of the larch tree. Huh. And the yeast would tend to stick to these sticks and survive. So as they oh, moisten it again, stir it again, they'd propagate the yeast while not knowing what yeast was. Oh. Now, the yeast would propagate they it enough. Worked, but they didn't know why. Exactly. In fact, wow. they thought the yeast was a necessary, was an unfortunate byproduct, oh. not recognizing it. It was actually the thing that was making the alcohol. Now, the first the scientific evidence that yeast was the part of the process actually comes from Louis Pasteur. So pasteurization, like all of that stuff. It was Louis Pasteur in 1879 who said yeast is why fermentation exists and started identifying strains of yeast. And in fact, shortly after that, we have sort of the base yeast that's used, what they call distiller's yeast, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Uh, by the 1930s, there were companies working in Scotland that created a hybrid between Cervasi and another kind of yeast called Saccharomyces diastaticus. That company would eventually become Diageo. The, the names actually shared. We'll talk about this, the companies that own distilleries later. Because that's a, a long conversation. And that particular hybrid, what they call DCL-M strain, was so popular that, that for a period, for 50-something for years, up until at least 2003, it was the mandated yeast. This is the yeast that all Scottish distilleries would use, and in fact, many still do, although we now are, have more modern, more efficient yeasts that are starting to become more popular, like MX and Mari, and so forth. The yeast uh, is a living creature. It's a, sing, it's, a, it's a large single cell, and it consumes sugars. And it's kept alive, it's live in a liquid form, and it's typically stored in a liquid form and used steadily. Uh, it used to be common for distilleries to produce their own yeast at scale. They don't anymore. There are specialists in all of this. But the concentrated uh, yeast paste, or yeast cream as they call it, uh, is actually mixed with the wort as it's pumped into the washback. And this is a, a kind Wait, of a race. This is a fa- that was a fairly disgusting sentence that you just yes. issued. Uh, I know. I had a stomach issue the other night that was just <laughs> like this. I, 
<laughs> I mixed I mixed wort and yeast cream yeah. into the wash bag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get your wort on my wash bag. Yes. Okay. Go now ahead. and then fermentation takes off immediately. Within hours, you start. You, you, within hours, you have a, a concentration of alcohol. Now. Uh, when I've toured the distilleries and gotten a chance to talk to the folks that run the fermentation, and then because these very, very Scottish people are often difficult to understand, <laughs> most fermentation runs for days. In fact, hmm. and they'll study the weather very closely before they start a fermentation batch because it the temperature matters. They don't want to overheat and they don't want it to be too cold. It's kind of a minimum of 48 hours of fermentation. The average is more like 60 to 75 hours, although some distilleries prefer much longer dis- uh, fermentations up to over 100 hours. Um, the, gen- the, the sort of general rule is that short fermentations gives you more grain flavors and long fermentations create more uh, complex flavors, as they call it. The, the fermentation process is what, rather vigorous. The concentration is high. They have a high specific gravity. And so the yeast is so active when you see these, these mash, you see these washbacks in action, and they're 25,000 to 40,000 liters. They're big. They, okay, back to the measurements of the pressures, like 9,000 gallons. Uh, and the, it's so, the yeast is so active, it almost looks like the liquid is boiling. Like it's that much energy. And there's a lot of carbon dioxide being released. In fact, it's dangerous to get your head over top of a washback because you, you cannot, you can literally knock yourself out and fall into the mixture, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which you can't swim in because the release of carbon dioxide is so rapid. You will sink to the bottom and be stuck there. Oh Lord. So, and they keep lids over these washbacks for that reason, try and keep you safe. It also generates a lot of foam. And so they have a device that sits on top of it uh, that stirs the, um, uh, they call it a switcher, to stir the, the foam to stop it from overflowing the washback. Um, traditionally, washbacks were made of larch, the same sticks they used oh, to stir in the first place. Wow. Wait, did they you would, say uh, larch? Larch. The larch, larch, yes. Wood, yeah. I have a, a larch, larch tree in my larch. front yard. You should be making you, whiskey, my friend. You could be it making whiskey. It is the ugliest tree on earth. <laughs> all it the is re- more reason either to, a pine nor a deciduous. It is a mess. Now, all the more reason to cut it down, slice it into planks, and make a washback mm-hmm. from it. Interesting. Now, uh, Later generations of washbacks use Douglas fir, Oregon pine, you know, New World trees. Uh, they're generally looking for tight grain, no knots, long planks. That's because you're making your washbacks quite big. Uh, modern washbacks are made of stainless steel, and there's a lot of conjecture about stainless steel versus wood. Um, the first is the heat problem because stainless steel radiates heat extremely well which means it won't overheat and kill the yeast, but it might cool down and slow the fermentation rate down. Wood's much more insulating, but then you do have the battle of you get too warm and start uh, injuring your yeast. Uh, you're racing to do this fermentation because there are other things that like the wort. There's other uh, uh, bacteria that want to consume that sugar, and the, one of the most difficult ones to deal with is lactobacillus, um, the stuff that makes yogurt. And it, the lactobacillus bacteria is particularly successful in, in attacking wort because its byproduct is acidic. So it actually raises the acidity, which cripples yeast. And so you can end up with what they call a sour batch. You sour the wort um, because lactobacillus has, has taken the batch, essentially, and it, can be, it ends up being thrown away. The battle against bacteria is cleaning. 
And so stainless steel is popular because it's very easy to clean very vigorously, where wood is more difficult to clean. Most distilleries that use wooden uh, washbacks uh, use a high-temperature steam, and they will pump very hot steam, uh, pressurized steam, into the washback and hold it there for 30 minutes or so, essentially, to kill all of the bacteria. Uh, There's no evidence that there's flavors of the wood that enter the wart at this time as it's being fermented, just because the wood is reused so much. But there is a discussion about uh, ambient bacteria that do add positive flavors, not lactobacillus. Uh, and so lots of distillers have gone back and forth with when they started removing these wooden washbacks in favor of stainless that the flavor of their uh, of the washback changed. Typically, yeast can only when yeast ferment the wort, they only get up to about seven, eight percent before the alcohol kills the yeast. Uh, in the old days, they would filter that as kind of a raw sour beer they called Joe. Uh, and certainly it's part of the tasting process to understand like how your fermentation is going to detect uh, a, a soured uh, a, a soured washback before you put it into the stills. Uh, and so depending on the distillery, you're finding that some distilleries have stu- even new washbacks are being done in wood, not just for traditional purposes, but they believe in the flavors uh, that come from the wood versus stainless steel. And that leads us to today's distillery and a particular version of their whiskey. This is the Ben Nevis distillery. Now, Ben Nevis is located beside Ben Nevis Mountain, the largest mountain in the UK, uh, a a very high mountain. And one of the claims to fame for the Ben Nevis distillery is it takes the highest water source in Scotland at about 900 meters. That it takes this very uh, pure spring water to make their, their whiskey. Uh, the location is in the very far western highlands, not far from Oban. Uh, the, the very, very western highland area is a, a little bit different than a lot of the other highland areas. Highland's quite large. It's on the site of Fort William. Uh, Fort William, that original fort, was built in the 1600s to uh, manage the Scots, as the English said. It was literally named after William of Orange after the 1688 revolution. So just a reminder... There's been people living in that part of the world for a very long time, uh, but that's where the Ben Nevis Distillery is. Uh, the original distillery was built uh, by the McDonald family, uh, famously Long John McDonald, a six foot four tall man in the 1800s, uh, was part of the original distillery. They built a second in 1878, although it only ran for about 30 years before it was shut down. The original distillery continued to function under the McDonald family until 1941. In 1941, it was sold to a Joseph Hobbs. And Joseph Hobbs is a Canadian uh, who grew up in British Columbia, who was born in the UK, but grew up in British Columbia, lots of Scots in BC. Uh, but became a millionaire by bootlegging whiskey to, to Americans in Prohibition. The Hobbs brothers owned a shipping firm that shipped between the UK and the US and Canada. And when Prohibition came on, they learned to take whiskey. Uh, famously, they bought uh, thousands of cases of Teacher's Highland Cream and then ran it in their ships around to California where people weren't expecting whiskey to land and the ship would lay offshore and then speedboats would come and pick up the case of whiskeys and bring it into the local bootleggers. And when Prohibition finally ended, this enterprise was going to, to wind down, 
they took that money and they started buying distilleries. And that's um, originally they, they've created a firm called the Associated Scottish Distillers and bought a lot of different distilleries, including Brooklatic. And then it wasn't until that was in the 30s, after Prohibition was over, it wasn't until 41 uh, that the Ben Nevis distillery got bought. Uh, Hobbs shut down the distillery for 14 years. He essentially rebuilt it. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to mention Ben Nevis, because in 1955, when he reopened, he had made concrete washbacks. It was heresy. And yet Hobbs is remembered as a fighter of the, of the small, uh, for the small Scottish producer, but he used concrete washbacks and a coffee still. And we'll talk about stills in a later episode because distillation is a complicated process, but a coffee still is a very unusual still for Scottish whiskey. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make coffee the drink. It's a style of still that does continuous distillation versus batch distillation. He also, uh, stuck to making it with his own yeast for a long time. He would blend brewers and distillers yeast, which was again, considered heresy. And yet we, he did it for, for 30 years. Uh, the distillery shut down again in set in 78 and was sold back to the McDonald family in 81. They, they took a couple of years to refit it, uh, removing the, the, uh, the Nikkei still. And then ultimately shut down again in 86. In 1989, it was sold to the Nikkei Company. This is Asashi. This is a Japanese firm that owns a number of Japanese distilleries. And we can talk about Japanese whiskey sometime later. It's a huge story. But this is the only Scottish distillery owned by Nikkei. And in fact, more than half of all the whiskey that Ben Nevis makes goes into blends for Nikkei's blends. Um, when Nikkei took it over, and the funny thing is that Nikkei being a Japanese distillery, the Japanese distilleries use a lot of coffee stills, but for the Scottish distillery, they remove the coffee still and they remove the concrete washbacks and put in six stainless steel washbacks and two Oregon pine washbacks. So they use both as part of their process to make their particular whiskeys. Um, the Ben Nevis 10 that I re- refer to, it's a little bit hard to come by, but if you go looking for Ben Nevis uh, whiskeys, you'll have a tough time. They do a lot of blending. There is a, an, their own blend called the Dew of Ben Nevis is lovely and inexpensive. It's very much like a Johnny Walker uh, red or Johnny Walker black. Uh, but the 10 is a classic, is a reference version of what they call West Highland whiskeys. It's aged in bourbon casks. And uh, come, they, they talk about coffee and chocolate and toffee notes. It's got a, a lot of color, which comes from the bourbon barrels. Um, they almost talk about a little salty texture to it because it's on the Western Highlands, which gets a lot more ocean exposure. Uh, but it's a nice whiskey. And it's, a, like I said, a classic Highland. It's not so rich as the spays with sherries and, and ports. It's much more the, the lighter flavor. And unfortunately, at this particular moment, the Ben Nevis Distillery website is on maintenance. Yeah, you know, like new site I went coming. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well. Uh, and so I linked to one of the popular sellers of of uh, Scottish whiskeys for the Ben Nevis Ten. There are many other editions. Uh, even this ten, depending on its edition, like they say, the 2019 version of the ten is better than the 2021. Um, but they're all great to drink if you can find them. I would typically only drink a Ben Nevis while I was in Scotland, where it's easier to come by. And that, my friends, is the story of East Cream and Wart Mash in a nutshell. <laughs> Next week on Animal Husbandry, we'll take a look. <laughs> wow. It does have a, 
Wow. So there's fermentation for you. And yeah. He, and he, you know, now you've got an 8% alcohol solution that you now need to, you could now add some hops and make it into beer, or we can fire it through a couple of stills and make next? it into, yeah. and make it into whiskey. Yeah. So yeah. next up will be distillation. I, you know, it's funny because we spent a lot of time when we were down in Oaxaca with Mike and Amira Elgin. Uh, visiting mezcal distilleries and it's a much, it's mm-hmm. much simpler process <laughs> yeah <laughs> they don't right. they, you know it's like once they got alcohol they go okay that's it that's it we're done close enough close yeah, enough yeah. uh, it's pretty yep. amazing actually that's what I mean. uh, <laughs> and, 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 the, and the crazy part is as whiskeys go, Scottish dis- whiskey is very coherent you should see how they make Irish whiskey it can be madness yeah yeah and a lot of it's not Irish, which is another mm. problem entirely. Well, they their their system's a little looser. The the Scots are very proud of their whiskey yeah. making, and they yeah. they and they there's yeah. very much a culture of the way that they make things. Right. Uh, the earlier days are obviously more complicated, but uh, you know since the since the early stage of 1900s, it's been very consistent product, and uh, it's a fun to talk about. It sure is, and I thank you for the lesson. Richard Campbell is the host of Run As Radio. And .NET Rocks, you'll find it all at runasradio.com, joins us here every Wednesday, as does Mr. Paul Therott, the author of Windows Everywhere. Hooray! Now available at leanpub.com along the field guide to Windows 10. Of course, Paul's website is therott.com. And uh, they join us every week, no matter where in the world they are, to talk yep. talk about uh, uh, Microsoft. I think I'm going to be in a new apartment next week. Wow. I think. Someday your life will get simpler, I hope. Well, that's what we're doing. That's what you're working (laughs) on. We're trying. Simplification. Sometimes it's temporarily complicated. Uh, We do Windows Weekly uh, every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1800 UTC. It's now 1900 UTC. Just to visit the the live.twit.tv webpage, that'll have... Audio and video streams, you can pick one, listen or watch to your heart's content. While you're doing that, chat with us in our Open to the Public IRC, irc.twit.tv, or be a mensch or a wench. I don't know what the female mensch is, but whatever that might be, and join Club Twit. That way you can be in the Discord, chat in there, the clubhouse, where uh, the booze runs freely and the hot dogs are free. Uh, Actually, no, there's no food or drink, but there is a bunch of conviviality you you provide your own food and drink we do provide you with ad-free versions of all the shows plus shows we don't put out in public like paul therott's hands on windows there's hands on mac there's a linux show there's all sorts of good stuff there's club only because when a show's brand new we we start it in the club and then launch it out of the public that's what happened with this week in space uh we just relaunched i'm so happy scott wilkinson's uh, home theater geeks and that's thanks to you members of club twit be part of the good guys Join Club Twit, twit.tv slash club, $7 a month, $84 for a full year. Uh, and it helps us keep the lights on and it helps you get some great content and gives you the good feeling that you're supporting us. Twit.tv slash club twit. We thank you very much. Um, uh, after the fact, you can still get the show at uh, ad-supported at twit.tv slash ww. There's an even more ad-supported YouTube channel uh, uh, dedicated. But it is now good, with more ads. Now with more ads, some of them we don't do. Uh, that's actually a good way to share it, though, with people if there's a clip 
of uh, you know you want to say hey you know what a warp mash is i do here listen uh you could you could just clip that out at youtube that's a very easy way to do that uh best way to get the show though with no effort on your part is subscribe in your favorite podcast player add that to your list of subscribed and auto downloaded podcasts and you'll always have a windows weekly when you're feeling lost and alone you can tune us in and uh, we'll talk to you as if we care thank you for joining us we will see you next time Paul, Richard, have a great week. See you next time on Windows Weekly. Bye-bye. I say that in jest. Of course we care. Of course we care. (laughs) Don't think we don't care. Listeners of this program get an ad-free version if they're members of Club Twit. $7 a month gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows. Plus, membership in the Club Twit Discord, a great clubhouse for Twit listeners. And finally, the Twit Plus feed with shows like Stacy's Book Club, The Untitled Linux Show, The Giz Fizz, and more. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. And thanks for your support.